welcome once again to Cinemaholics, where we talk about the biggest and best films coming to theaters and streaming online. From the San Francisco Bay Area, I'm John Negroni, film editor for The Young Folks and film critic for Awards Watch and The Spool. From Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, he's a pop culture writer for Cinema Blend and co-creator of Cinemaholics, it's Will Ashen. What up? Find more episodes of Cinemaholics, including our full archive. That's right, every episode since 2017 on Cinemaholics.com. You'll also find written reviews on there and other bonus content and our merch page if you mm. want Cinemaholics merch. Yeah. All classic logo stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. The retrograde, I like to call it. but Yeah. Um, new, new stuff's coming someday. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. I'm sure the new stuff will be good. I'm excited to see it. Yeah. Um, but, you know. I had the thought today if we could do both. That's true. Yeah, yeah I guess. If, if there's enough demand. <laughs> yeah, I know. Yeah. Well, we, we don't want people, we don't want to sell out too fast. Yeah. But we could have like the classic section, you know? It's mm-hmm. like, all right, this is where the, the long time listeners check in. Yeah. But I also like the idea of being like, you know, fire sale. Like, you got to get this now. Like, we're running yeah. out of time. Yeah, no, I was talking to my mom. She has um one of the, the hoodies. And she, I pointed out that it's like, yeah, you got the retro design. And she's like, what do you mean the retro design? <laughs> I guess <laughs> she didn't like, know that we you, had. How long have you been doing this? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, um, yeah. So I guess keep a lookout for the, the new stuff. Yeah. I, I actually, I, I have worked on it. I think what's held me back a little bit is I, there might be a Cinemalox hat coming in the future and that's a little complicated. What kind of hat? Happening. Like a baseball hat? Uh, a baseball cap, yeah. Okay. Well, yeah, I was not a fedora. <laughs> no, I was thinking like it'd be something like out of the box, like a pirate hat or something. Like a trilby or something? Yeah, okay. there you go. I um, wish, but no. Yeah. Just a baseball cap, you know, so you can head to the game with your best gal or best guy <laughs> and, uh, you know, eat a hot dog with the, but it's like you're with us, the Cinemaholics mm. at their, bas- ba- ba- I was going to say basketball game too, because yeah. that works too. You remember when, um, was that Rob Lowe that went to the baseball game? Or the football game or something. He just got like the logo for the uh, like NBA or something. He just had that. Like he didn't have any like team or uh, affiliation associated with his hat. I feel like that's what the Cinemaholics is going to be when you have that hat. It's just like you're just rooting for everyone to have a good time. Uh, yeah, he. it was literally, I remember that. It was literally like a hat with the NFL logo. Yes, that's it. Yeah. Um, <laughs> it was just like. He's just like, um, I'm just happy for all the people yeah. involved. Everybody, everybody has a chance. Yeah. <laughs> it really did strike me as like, oh, maybe I, you know, I, I don't want to be like picking sides. Somebody just pick out the the actual hat for me, you know, which I respect uh, that. I, I think he's thinking that he put thought into it. I think he just picked that up at the yeah. gift shop. Like he I just think like, so. <laughs> like his hair wasn't that good and he knew it was going to be photographed. So he just picked whatever hat they had, which I guess was that one. Rob Lowe's more relatable than I think people realize. So, because uh, I would do that. I don't know about that, but you don't, um, you don't, you don't agree. Mm, I don't know. I'm that's, gonna, I guess that's a debate for another time. I've, yeah, I've always I'm, found Rob Lowe surprisingly kind of down to earth for such a celebrity mm, kind of guy, but I don't yeah. know about that. I don't, I, I don't think I agree. You don't listen to his but, podcast, do you? I do. Not. I didn't even know he had a podcast. Yeah. It's called but literally with Rob Lowe. Yeah. Whoa, I know, right? What's the, uh, Okay, let's chill this podcast. What's what goes you, on in this podcast? Would you would you believe me if I told you he started this podcast during the pandemic? Oh wow, like early pandemic. Mm. Yeah, I know. Not surprising. Yeah, not surprising at all. Actually, you can also write into the show anytime by sending us an email: cinemaholicspodcast at gmail Send us your questions, concerns, and all that good stuff. And as always, we have our Patreon. 
patreon.com slash cinemaholics. If you'd like to be a longtime supporter of the show or just a one-time donation, whatever you want to do, we appreciate everybody who can. And of course, if you would like to support us, but you know what? It's not in the cards. You can't swing a donation financially. No worries. That's totally fine. We understand. And we don't want to pressure anybody for sure. But you know what? You guys know there's a free way to do it. There's a way you can help us out without paying a dime but and only lifting one or two fingers. Just go to Apple Podcasts, Google Play, or Stitcher, wherever you can leave a review, a five-star rating for our show. And please consider doing that. If you think we're a five-star rated podcast, if you don't think we're worth the five stars and you're like, I want to do it, but right now you're more of like a four, you know, maybe you're like a three. That's where the email comes in. Let us know what can we do better to please all of you listeners. We're, we're willing to do pretty much anything, I think, but just let us know and we'll, we'll take care of it. Will Ashton, what are we talking about movie-wise this week on the show? Uh, I guess we're not talking about Rob Lowe anymore. Uh, we're actually talking about Free Guy. Yeah, we burned that bridge. Yeah. Uh, we're talking about Free Guy, un film de Sean Levy. Uh, Is it a French film? Like, what was that? No. I just, like, that's a bit I like to do where... Because, like, oh, okay. Sean Levy is, like, you know, nothing against the guy, but he's, like, the most, like, studio director kind of guy I can think of. Like, he just kind of, you know, he rolls with the punches. He kind of just, like, does whatever gets thrown into his lap. Sometimes it works out, like, with Stranger Things. Other times it doesn't work out with any number of films of his that I can't think of off the top like, of my head. I like Cheaper by the Dozen. That I like, fine. actually, yeah, Big Fat Liar, Night at the Museum, you know. Oh, I was thinking about Big Fat Liar earlier today. You don't like that uh, movie, do you? No, it's not that. Uh, quite the okay. opposite. I was thinking about how... Childhood uh, classic for me. That was, I think, I the not first... childhood. That was more middle school, actually. Uh, that was childhood for me. Uh, because I was, what I remembered from today was that I think that was the first film I ever saw with a sold-out audience. If not sold-out, then like close to sold-out. I remember seeing it like wow. the Friday it came out. Uh, because even in my childhood, I had to seek out the new Paul Giamatti movies. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I was about to say, cause I was trying to remember, I knew, I remember it was like, oh yeah. Cause Frankie Muniz, Amanda Bynes. Mm-hmm. And then as soon as I remembered blue Paul Giamatti jumping out of the pool, I was like, D, oh. double die. Um, yeah, I mean, I that's the theater as well. So, you mm-hmm. know, maybe we were at the same theater. Uh, maybe, uh, were you in Virginia in 2003? No, I was not. Was? Mm, okay. Uh, I was uh, still located in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, but um, I think that's my f- that's probably my favorite Sean Levy film. If I had to pick one, I I have to look up the rest of his filmography because there's a uh, Just Married, right? He did. Um, that's right. Uh, um, Real Steel. He did that. Real one. Steel, which I never saw. I also I never saw, saw Date one. Night. Oh, he did Date Night. Okay, that one's all right. The one I the one I did not. I think the last movie I saw from the guy, um, actually. I, I did see the Night Museum sequel, uh, which was not good. But uh, also, the internship—that's a bad movie. That is a that movie like made me like physically upset. Yeah, that one. I don't know. I just remember being indifferent to it. I know a lot of people have very strong negative feelings towards it. I just remember being like, whatever. It's not Wedding Crashers. It doesn't hurt me. <laughs> uh, it you know, like most Sean Levy movies, I'm just like, all right, that was a thing. And then I went home. All right. Uh, well, well, what else? What else we got? That's free guy. What else are we talking about? Uh, we also got. Uh, let's see, Coda, I believe. The yeah, Apple yeah. TV we'll do Plus. Coda last. Okay, we're gonna do Coda, Coda last. last. Yeah. Uh, well, we saw that one on Sundance, so yeah, we'll, we'll talk about that one last. And we are going to be talking about Beckett, the yes. new Netflix film starring 
the one and only John David Washington. JD. Sure. Is that what he goes by now? JD Washington? I don't think so. I, I assume he just goes. I mean, do you think people call him John David in real life? Like, I don't know if we can confirm that. I think they just call him John, right? Maybe. I, I always assumed John David was like his whole name, you know, like he had two first names, but maybe it's his middle. I don't, I don't actually know. I thought that like, isn't there probably like already a John Washington? Is there? I would, I would assume so. Like, Let's find out. I, yeah, I bet I could do a quick little Google search while you tell the listeners what Beckett is. Well, Beckett is a new drama thriller, I believe, that's on Netflix as of this past weekend. And it also stars uh, Alicia Vikander, uh, Vicky Kripes, and Boyd Holbrook. Well, I can't, I can't quite confirm his naming acumen here. Uh, I... I from what I can tell, it, it, yeah, nothing denoting like, is it a middle name? Is it a first name? So we're just going to have to have one of the listeners correct us or confirm mm. it either way in a later date. But we'll we'll talk about Beckett shortly, of course. Now, those are the three films we're going to be reviewing in depth. First, though, we do want to kind of bring up real quick here on Off Topics, Don't Breathe 2. Don't Breathe 2 is the sequel to Don't Breathe from 2016. And we're not going to be talking about the movie. Main reason for me is because it was not screened to a lot of critics. Uh, Most critics did not get screenings for this. There were no screenings for this in the Bay Area. And yeah, I got to say, I was not willing to go to a theater with like Delta being a thing. Uh, I wasn't willing to go to a public screening for this movie, right? Like it just was not something I was like, you know what? If I'm going to skip a movie, it would probably be this one. And obviously, like I extend that to all listeners who feel like, yeah, I don't, I don't feel like watching a movie in this current environment. I think that's pretty defensible. But uh, yeah, you, and you, did you have the same kind of feeling? Because I know you've been you've been kind of selective of which screenings you've been going to, public or otherwise. Yeah, I mean that it wasn't one that I was necessarily putting off or unwilling to see. I mean, I like the first "Don't Breathe" a good bit, Fetty, Al- Fetty Alvarez's film. Yeah, um, which he's not directing the sequel, which was part of the reason I was like, meh. But he did co-write it, I believe, um, if I'm not mistaken. He co-wrote it, and he's a producer. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I, I I don't know if um, that's enough for me to sort of get get on this film's uh, wavelength, I suppose. Yeah. Because this is the first film from this uh, guy, uh, Rob... Roto Saiguez, and I know that he did, I think he also co-wrote Don't Breathe, but he doesn't okay. have directing experience. Hmm. And I, I don't know too much about the guy himself. Uh, he's worked on a bunch of films. He wrote uh, Evil Dead as well, the other Fetty Alvarez film. Okay. And a couple of films before that, he was a writer, some short films. So I don't know. I, I, I just, this was not a film that I was like, man, I, I, I got to get out and I got to go see it. Yeah. I mean, when I saw the trailer for it, I saw it before Stillwater. Um, I was kind of intrigued because it's sort of doing a T2 thing where it's a different genre. Like it's kind of more of a thriller as opposed to a horror film this time. And they're changing it up to where the villain is the protagonist or at least like the, um, like, I guess, uh, you know, like a morally gray kind of character as opposed to just plain evil. The the last movie, it was a monster movie, right? And so in this movie, the monster is the hero. And so it's like the protagonist, which is a questionable move considering what we know about the the villain, mm. this character played by Stephen Lang in the first film. I mean, the guy 
does something so despicable. It, it, I don't know. For me, it's hard to believe that they thought this would really fly. But at the same time, I understand why they would look at the success of the first film and be like, this is what people really liked about it. So we got to see this guy do more stuff, but he can't just be the villain again, because how do you do that screenplay? Sure. I'm wondering, I mean, I don't remember any particular outrage from the first Don't Breathe too well, but I'm wondering if people were upset because it villainized a uh, blind character and if they're just trying to like save face a little bit and being like, oh, no, no, he's not the villain anymore. He's the good guy. You know, he's the hero. He has a young kid that he has to protect. I don't know. That is that is a very uh, that's a good theory. And it makes sense that they would maybe have that in mind because I don't remember that criticism from when the original film came out. What I remembered was people just being like, that is a gross third act twist. Uh, It was shock value for the sake of it in a way. And it was weird to me because like, I was thinking you don't need that. Like this film, I don't know. They didn't need to make him so morally dark. It was working as a film when it was just like, he's blind, but you know, he's going to defend himself. And you know, to me, that is a more nuanced, interesting story. I think it's a cop out when they reveal, oh, actually, he is this horrific sexual assaulter character. And I was like, what's the point of that? That was like my biggest criticism of what was otherwise a really tense and really well done thriller. I mean, I think the last film is such a great movie going experience. I would have otherwise Mm -hmm. been excited to see this movie, except that they, from what I can tell, it just doesn't seem like it really captures what worked about the first one. Well, apologies to anyone that didn't see Don't Breathe and were spoiled by your uh, synopsis there. But I apologize. I, I realized it as I said it. I, I mean, it, look, it's a five-year-old movie. Sure. <laughs> I uh, I don't feel too bad. I mean, if you haven't seen it yet, and it also, I, I don't know. I don't know if it's, it's a good like film. the, the biggest like twist it. of the movie or anything. Yeah. Yeah. It's not like the end end, but it is a, uh, it's not something I knew going in. I'll say that. Right. It's a revelation, but still worth seeing. That said, yeah, I, I just I just don't have an interest in this film, to be honest. I, I edited the review. I had a John Winkler uh, review the film for us at The Young Folks, and he gave it a 2 out of 10. And so I kind of got like sort of the gist of the setup of this movie. And yeah, I just got to say, I, I'm not interested in myself. I could see why somebody would be interested, though, and maybe would be excited about another film with this character, but uh, just not the case for me. So that's why I ended up skipping it. Yeah, I mean... I'm sure it'll be out on home video or some sort of uh, streaming service by October, and I might check it out for my annual 31 Days of Horror marathon. It seems like the type of thing that I'd be willing to check out at home, but I don't know if it's really worth going out to the theater. Pandemic or otherwise just doesn't really... It's not The, the premise isn't interesting enough for me to want to go out of my way to see it. I guess I'll say that. That's definitely where we agree for sure. Now, here's a movie that we did see, but it was at South by Southwest earlier this year, Swan Song, which is a lovely, lovely film. It was one of my favorite films I think I saw at South By, which if I'm recalling, South By wasn't like the best lineup for me personally. I, I thought Sundance was a lot stronger yeah, uh, in terms of its festival lineup. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 That's true. But Swan Song, that was, that was a highlight for me for sure. And I know you really liked it. Great. You were bold performance for sure. Yeah, I mean, it's the type of film I, I think I remember liking the performance more than the film. The film itself isn't bad. It just has a kind of shaggy dog quality to it that's certainly endearing at times, particularly towards the beginning, though it does kind of, uh, it doesn't really feel cohesive in a way that I think 
makes that ending work as well as it could have, I guess, um, in a way that... Which is probably why it's on demand right now. I mean, it's just sure. going straight to VOD and by Magnolia, we should say. Mm-hmm. I was looking over my write-up and I called it rudderless in the second half. And I think that that applies, uh, I yeah. guess. Sorry, a, Udo, Udo Kier. Is yeah, the, Udo Kier, of course. I, yeah. Sorry, I know sorry. Yeah. yeah. The great also, Udo Kier. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. This did get a limited release, but it really didn't get a lot of like buzz. Like, I think it came out in theater, like a few theaters last week. Not a lot of people are talking about it. And you know what? I think that's a shame. I think this is a really, really solid movie. I mean, it's about a, an elderly gay man who was a very successful hairdresser. He now lives in a retirement home and he just sort of goes on this trek this sort of like journey across town to get a bunch of supplies to dress up his like last or like his like longtime client who was like family to him and it's just sort of like an odyssey of him just sort of like rediscovering his past and his roots it's it's a very touching film it's also just very very clever and very humorous uh, lots of really great quips from Udo Kier, but it never goes oh, into yeah. like tropey cliche territory, you know? Um, like it never is makes a mockery of Well that's a true, that. yeah. Yeah. Okay. They kind of they get a little tropey in like the last ten minutes, I'd say. But not as I'm ter- remembering not- the last ten Okay, uh, the last 10 minutes I'm remembering being very somber and kind of melodramatic. I, I might right. just be forgetting because it, it has been, you know, five months or something. Well, I mean, not tropey in terms of his sexuality, I should clarify, just in, in terms of like they end it in a sort of uh, bombastic sort of way that I guess is both fitting and kind of predictable. But I just remember smiling, even though like I kind of knew that's where it was going. Just because I think Udo Kier, like you said, gives such a great performance, but also there's a lot to this character that's just sort of endearing in its uh, idiosyncratic sort of way. Um, I, I do like the overlining theme of the film or the like the kind of moral question that asks, which is like, is it better to sort of live in infamy or to go out in your prime? Like, you know, like this character had like this whole great weird life in a small town now he's kind of fading into obscurity and he's he's not really settled with that like he he wants the adoration but he also doesn't want to have to deal with the uh the grief and the sorrow and the the pain that he felt in his earlier life and it's um you know like you said it's, it's a nice little winsome indie though i mean i like i said if it had i guess more of a uh, firmer backbone, I guess, in terms of its structure, I think it would have been a more emotionally satisfying story. But as it is, I think it's uh, patchy, but a lot of fun. I agree completely. You know, it, yeah, that structure is like the one thing that kind of like lacks here and there, but it really just comes down to this Udo Kier performance because he's what I love about it is to what you're saying, like you start off where. He's this sort of character who feels so repressed and so sort of like pushed to the edges of society, but not in the way, not in his own terms. And literally as the movie goes on, as we get to know him more, he starts to just sort of like rediscover that side of himself that makes him happy. And sort of as he's able to process his grief of the people who he's lost and the career that has sort of like his legacy and the way that that has sort of subsided and given way to other people, including his student played by Jennifer Coolidge, if I'm remembering right. We just sort of see, though, he comes back to life, you know, and it's more of like a celebration of his life instead of it being like overly bitter or cynical or anything like that. I I think that's why it moved me as much as it did. And it's just altogether a sweet 
movie. So I, I was a fan. Like I said, it's on video on demand right now. So if you weren't able to catch it in limited release theatrically, you can check it out right now. It's through Magnolia. And yeah, it's it's a really solid, like at least rent it. Check out the trailer if you're on the fence. Mm-hmm. I think that, uh, yeah, if you're a fan of Udo Kier, if you were like after, what was his last film? Bakudrao? Uh, I think that's the last yeah. one I saw, at least. Uh, mm-hmm. if, yeah, if you were a fan of that movie and you just, just him as a performer, you know, totally different movie. This oh, one, yeah, but, I mean, you know, great. And back when I, I don't remember him yeah. sort of being like, you know, mm-hmm. stylizing people's hair necessarily, <laughs> unless you count like the headshots as uh, anyway. Sure. All right. Nine Days was like the last one we wanted to bring up real fast. This was one we wanted to do a bonus episode, cover this film, the two of us. Unfortunately, I was just not able to get any sort of uh, way to see it. I wasn't able to see this film in theaters or anything. So, well, you did manage to see nine days and we don't want to, we don't want to let it pass us by because this is a bit of an interesting release. Tell us all about it. Yes. This one premiered, I want to say at the 2020 uh, Sundance film festival, not this past year's Sundance. Um, But it stars uh, an actor. I think a lot of people recognize, but may not know the name, uh, Winston Duke, who you, People probably best know from either us or Black Panther. Uh, traditionally, I, I, what I like about both those performances, if we're just kind of looking at them in particular, is that like they're very clearly Winston Duke uh, performances, but they're totally different. Like in Black Panther, he's this kind of like uh, you know brawny, like uh, thunderous personality, and us, he's you know kind of meek and mal mannered. But like when push comes to shove, he'll do what he has to do. And in this film, it's kind uh, of the comic relief in yeah. both, though, in a way. Sort of. I guess I don't know if I really saw him so much as a comedic relief in um, Black Panther, but he did kind of. He, he came I in the third. Did. In the third act and kind of livened things up when things were starting to get. Yeah, a little, uh, maybe comedic uh, relief sad. isn't the right word. Yeah, he's like, yeah, he just kind of comes. He's like a, he's a strong but goofy presence it's very it's an interesting balance the actor brings it's it's really cool yeah. about him actually but um in this film he plays a character named will who it's not quite specified what exactly his uh job title is but he lives in this sort of purgatory state he's in i think they call him like an arbiter who judges souls uh from this sort of like house in the middle of nowhere like this kind of desert plain area uh, and, uh, during one tragic incident, he, uh, finds himself, uh, grieving because he wasn't quite able to be the, like, guardian angel that he's supposed to be, and in the process, he finds himself in a, uh, unexpected sort of, uh, um, interview process with a bunch of candidates that, uh, the film gets a title from because it takes place over the course of nine days, and he susses them out, evaluates different people based on these sort of like um, morality questions, uh, like the type of things you might see in like some weird like written out test. Uh, it, it almost has kind of like an, an odd sort of like cult feel at times, but there is like a point to everything he does. There is a, a weird kind of logic to what he's thinking. And uh, it's it's a film that when I was watching it, uh, I found it to be slow but meditative it, it, it definitely i think it's very purposeful in everything it does like uh, there's a lot of subtleties to it but it's not too deep like i don't think it's i think it's, it might be a little bit deeper in its mind view than i think it ultimately is like i think what's trying to say you can kind of figure out before it really reveals itself but 
I do really think as a showcase for the performances, it, it's quite strong. Namely, uh, Zazie Beetz uh, and Benedict Wong play the like co-leads of the film and each give really strong uh, nuanced performances as well. Uh, and it's just nice to see both of them. Because, I mean, especially uh, Zazie Beats has been doing a lot recently and, and kind of proving her range and number of different projects. And I think this film is no exception. Also, it stars uh, Tony Hale and uh, Bill Sarsgaard, among uh, a few other people. And I thought Bill Sarsgaard was pretty good. I actually kind of thought that Tony Hale was kind of awful in this. I felt bad because I think Tony Hale generally is quite good. I mean, he's like an Emmy winning actor yeah, for a reason. That's but surprising in this, to hear. Yeah, in this film, because it's so kind of one note and uh, kind of strident in its its themes, it, it has this character who's like forcefully trying to be the comedic relief character, and just all the lines he's given are just terrible. And he tries his best. Like I, I, I don't fault. I guess I don't fault the actor so much as I, I fault the character or the characterization that he had to deal with. I just, I just found his all of his scenes to be very unnecessarily grating to the point where like I was just kind of secretly hoping that he'd be voted out uh as it went along but um yeah i mean as a film itself it's as i was explaining to uh Corey woodruff who just recently saw the film uh it's the type of film that when it was over i thought to myself like huh i'm really going to be meditating on this film a lot and thinking about it in, in terms of all its its subtleties and nuances and since then i haven't really thought about it unless someone brings it up like you or him and i, I that's a shame because i, I think as a debut, like, I think it's strong. I, I definitely think it's a a filmmaking introduction that I want to see like where this director goes next. If he's going to try to do things that are a little bit more uh, uh, introspective like this, or if he's going to try to do something a little bit broader or maybe a little bit more um, expansive in tone or style, or if he's just going to kind of keep it uh, in this vein throughout. But it, I just, like I said, I just don't think it really says as much as it wants to say, and I don't think what it's saying is particularly deep or profound, but I do admire the ambition here and, and how it's trying to to communicate these very lofty and thoughtful themes in a way that uh, I, I think is ultimately going to appeal to certain audiences. I've definitely seen a lot of reactions where people are like, I was just crying throughout the whole thing, and it just moved me in a way that I, that I found to be unexpected. And I, I don't want to take that away from anyone. I think that's that's definitely very meaningful and worthwhile, and I, and I wish I had that experience with it, but I did find it to be ultimately a pretty solid uh, rental. And then if you get a chance to check it out either in theaters or later on a streaming service, it, it's worth checking out, but maybe not one I'd rush out to see, I guess. Yeah, I, I really want to see it. I, so I, Allison Johnson, editor-in-chief of the Young Folks, .com, she reviewed it for us in the film section. She gave it a, a 9 out of 10. Uh, she really, really enjoyed it. She said it's one of her favorite debut films of the year. And so I'm really looking forward to checking it out for myself and seeing I'm into it because I, I really love me some Winston Duke. And I've been waiting for a film like this, like a more of an indie film with him in it because we really haven't gotten that from him before. We've gotten Marvel movies and us. Uh, that really is where like his film, you know, pedigree really ends uh, i think like the only other film we've seen him in is like spencer confidential i think he had like a small role in that but otherwise yeah we haven't had this sort of thing that really tests his range oh, as yeah. an actor in a more like sort of like dramatic way like us is us is close but it's more of a blockbuster you know and, and mm -hmm. a great film in its own right in my opinion but definitely not something i think that is like a showcase for the actors necessarily although very yeah. very good performances from him and others and I think even like on the TV side, like 
I've never seen his TV work. I know he was in like a few episodes of some shows here and there, like Modern Family and I think uh, Person of Interest and stuff like that. But this guy, like, I, I don't understand how he's not a breakout star, right? You know, already, you know, like starring, being in like leading man roles for more and more films. I think he's more than proven himself at this point. So I'm just sort of waiting for that to happen. But that said, the only other film he has on the horizon, I believe, I could be mistaken, but the only one I've heard about that he's going to be in is going to be the next Black Panther movie, obviously. I think some people are saying, like, maybe he's going to be the next Black Panther or something. Whatever, you know, I'll mm-hmm. take or leave another Marvel movie with the guy, but I, I just, I don't know, like, give him something new and original and different. I, I don't know. That's all I'm saying. So I'm I'm hoping for that. Yeah, I mean, well, to comment on some of the things you said, I do think Us is an actor showcase, but it's mainly for Lapito. It's not exactly. so much for him. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, I I generally just forgot that Black Panther, I guess, was technically his first film, or at least his first major film. Um, I think it's his first film ever, if I'm not is mistaken. Is it really? Wow. Yeah. I mean, what a, you know, standout first film. I know, right? <laughs> yeah. I mean, not only just because the film was so popular and good, but just because, like, that performance... It's such a yeah. standout performance. It, it speaks to um, just how good Ryan Coogler is at those yeah. decisions. You know, I mean, obviously the casting director as well, but yeah. Right. But uh, yeah, I mean, I, I agree. Like it, um, you know, as a, a showcase for him, I definitely think it's worthwhile. And uh, yeah, I, I, I really had just forgotten like how few films he's been in. But um, even, you know, like you said, like Spencer Confidential, not a great film. Uh, and I, I think I was maybe even the most positive on the film and that's not, I wasn't even that positive to begin with, but uh, most positive of the cinemaholics, I mean. But uh, I, I do remember his performance being a standout. So I, I think he's he's on the right track. I'm definitely excited to see where he goes next. And I hope that means more movies outside of Marvel. But we'll we'll find out, I suppose. We could only be so lucky. Mm. But speaking of marveling at things, let's talk about our first review, our first in-depth review of the week. And that is Free Guy. My name is Guy. Sunday should be warm and sunny, just a scattering of drive-bys. And I live in paradise. I've got a best friend. This is the greatest cup of coffee of all time. Oh-oh! Mondays, am I right, Joe? You said it, Guy. Yeah! And I work at the bank. Everybody's out of the ground! I thought I had everything I needed. But then I met her. Everybody down on the ground. Everybody except you. Me? Please, I have a cold fist. There is something inside you, guy. I don't want something inside me. They expected you to just follow the rules, but you are so much more than that. Put these on. Okay. Fine. I do. Oh my god! What are these trick glasses or something? Guy, there is no easy way to say this. This world, it's a video game. You're not real. Please stop my And the guy responsible for this world was going to destroy it. You've met God? Yes, he's an absolute troll. Trolls exist. Free Guy is a movie that we have been kind of, you know, expecting for quite a while. It was one of those movies that like in the lead up to the pandemic, before coronavirus was on the lips of most people in every industry on the planet, Free Guy had a lot of trailers. A lot of people were seeing the the marketing for Free Guy. We were it was one of those movies that was going to be like the big summer 2020 movie. But like many other things, it was delayed. And 
I think that in, in some ways it was kind of for the best for this movie because it was going to come out in a very crowded time. It's now sort of being funny enough. It's sort of being hailed as like an unlikely box office success simply because yes, it made like a couple million dollars in its opening weekend more than the suicide squad, but it had a smaller budget and it's not based on any original IP. Mm-hmm. So people are kind of looking at it and saying, see like it wasn't the pandemic that caused suicide squad to underperform massively and be one of the biggest flops warner brothers has had in years i don't know about that (laughs) just because i don't know 28 million dollars opening weekend for a movie that costs something around like a hundred on probably 125 million dollars that's also not good but uh people have their opinions will so what are you gonna do about that I mean, I think a lot of the box office here just comes to the fact, plain simply, that it wasn't available on streaming. Uh, and I, I guess the only reason it wasn't on streaming is because the contract from 20th Century, or formerly yeah. 20th Century Fox, now 20th Century Studios, uh, explicitly said it can only premiere in theaters. And unlike something like The New Mutants or The Empty Man or something that they dumped last year, they were like, oh, you know, Ryan Reynolds, there's actually some box office potential here, I guess. So yeah, Taika Waititi is in this. Mm-hmm. They love him over at Disney. That's for sure. Yeah. So they can't I, get uh, enough of the guy. He shows up everywhere. Yeah. I'll have more to say about him in a bit, I suppose. But <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, I, I think it, there is, it, it's kind of one of those things where it's just like, I'm excited that an original property. It's not based on any existing IP is doing well. And it's coming out. But I'm also, I'll admit, I'm kind of getting tired of Ryan Reynolds' whole shtick. And I like the guy, but just like I'm kind of getting tired of this already. I don't know how you feel about the guy at this point, but. Um, Sorry, you're not you're not going to you're not going to find any shots on okay. Ryan Reynolds from me. Uh, you know, take that how, how you will. But I, I I really dig I really dig the guy's career at the moment. Like, I'm not feeling the fatigue I guess is what you might be alluding to. Well, it's not even that the fatigue. I just think when he has to kind of prove himself, I think his better work comes out. For instance, uh, thinking back to like the nines when he was in the two thousands and he was like still kind of trying to figure out his star vehicle. Like I think that's uh, buried. Yeah, exactly. That's a great performance from him. And the voices, that was another one where I'm just like, those are performances when I think back to Ryan Reynolds or even something, you know, broader like more mainstream like definitely maybe which i guess the film people tend to forget about but i remember thinking like you know that's a good good performance from him even van wilder i mean i'm sure that movie doesn't hold up very well but i think he's (laughs) appealing and charismatic in that and that's another film where it's like he has something to prove he's trying to do something like he's make he's trying to make his mark i guess he's like trying to 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 prove why he deserves star status and when i see something like free guy just kind of it's not like he's settling but just kind of feels like he's falling into formula a little bit and it just doesn't it doesn't appeal to me as much watching him as actor at this point i look maybe i'm still riding off of the disappointment of hitman's wife's bodyguard and that film is so bad that like i still was disappointed like even though i had no expectations for it i think when it comes to ryan reynolds because look if we are objectively looking at this the guy has made more films i dislike than i like like that is just a fact (laughs) like i did not like detective pikachu very much i know a lot of other people did and i like that one that was the last one i remember was like okay this is this is one i like 
I, I didn't love that movie. I, I thought it was kind of a, I was very bored by it personally. And, but you know, other people responded to it. And, and I, even though I'm a big Pokemon fan, it was very strange. I still don't understand how that happened. Maybe I got to rewatch it someday. It's but solid. Then, no. uh, yeah. I like that. I, I really hated six underground. Like if I could unwatch that movie, I absolutely would. I, I could not stand six underground. It just one of, one of the worst, my least favorite films of 2019. I, I was disappointed by Deadpool too. You know, I, I really like the first Deadpool, but the sequel, I was just really was underwhelmed by. Like, if I go through the list, man, I mean, Selfless, Mississippi Grind. Oh, that's a great gold. film. I love Mississippi um, Grind. Have you seen that film? Yeah, I have. That's great. Uh, you yeah. like that film? Oh, you don't? No. I, did we talk about that during the Captain oh, Marvel episode? No, we have not. I love Mississippi Grind. I might have seen it after we talked about Captain Marvel, because that's okay. the same directors, if I'm not yes. mistaken. yes. And yeah, unless I'm confusing it with another movie, I for some reason I have bad memories of that. Ben uh, Mendelsohn play. and him, Ryan Rounds, like they're going out gambling stuff. Uh, also, Sienna Miller, right? Is and she in it? It's been a little while since I've seen it. I've been and it is Sienna Miller, which yeah. means you know we forgot what sure. she looks like. And <laughs> I guess that's more you than me. But uh, so no, I'll, I, I'll take Mississippi Grind off the list. I might just be conflating memories here. Um, I don't know. I mean, you know, maybe maybe it wasn't your bag. I don't know. I just remember thinking like. This is what I want from Ryan Reynolds. Like these, these are performances I want. Okay. From Ryan Reynolds, I'm, I probably am confusing with something. Um, but R.I.P.D. Like I couldn't Not tell great. you two things about that movie. Like well, Jeff besides Bridges, him being in it. Well, Jeff Bridges is doing that thing again. Whenever when he like for like 15 years when he would just only play guys that you couldn't understand. <laughs> yeah, I remember those days. Yeah, this was like the uh, we were still in the like wake of True Grit at that point in 2013. Uh, change up. I mean, sure, Green Lantern, obviously. Ooh, yeah. But the, you know, every once in a while, there'd be one that was okay. Like Safe House was all right. Like that wasn't <laughs> the worst movie or anything. But it was still kind of. I liked the proposal probably more than most people. That's um, fun. I really liked Adventureland, but he's barely in it. That was um, shot in my neck of the woods, of course. Yeah, yeah. And then if we go further back, I mean, I agree with you about the nines. But then also, I'm a big fan, unironically, of Just Friends. I, I rewatch that movie pretty regularly. I think it's a very funny movie. Mm-hmm. Problematic as hell, but I absolutely love it anyway. And then also Good, Wayne. Uh, Anna Ferris performance. That's the only thing I remember yeah. from that film. Great. Anna. Oh my gosh. She's the best character in the film. Uh, but also Waiting is a film I love revisiting. It reminds me of college, you know, when I worked as a cook. You and... like to revisit that film? Yeah, I do. I, I like to revisit scenes from it, but a lot of it's just really gross. It is gross, but yeah, I think that's what I like about it. And it's not a movie you know you like watch by yourself at home. Like I just feel like not, that's like a yeah. that's like a YouTube clip kind of movie. Like you watch like scenes yeah, from it. Again, could see that, but not like yeah. the whole thing. I, I watch it. I've watched it uh, the last few times with like friends. You know, when we don't know what to watch, and we're just like, let's watch Waiting again. You know, it's been a while. Isn't that movie like pretty like kind of like misogynistic? Sort of. It's yeah. been a while since I've seen it. Yeah. Okay. I mean, it was 2005. What are you going to do? Yeah, totally. But at the same time, uh, that's just sort of like a a condensed list. He's done a bunch more movies and everything. He's been like a bit character in a lot of movies. But like most of those movies, I don't really like that much. Or just sort of like, eh, okay. But for whatever reason, I never come out of these movies and I'm like, I can't stand Ryan Reynolds. I always give, I'm always like Ryan Reynolds is the best thing about these bad movies. Uh, give him more movies because maybe it'll be like a, a really good, one. I know he's got a few more films coming up. He's got red notice, which is supposed to come out next year with Dwayne Johnson and Gal Gadot, probably going to be the worst movie of the year, but 
you better believe I'm going to watch it and hope going in that it's the best. And then uh, The Atom Project. Uh, I don't know if you are excited about that, but, you know, Ryan Reynolds and Jennifer Gardner, Zoe Saldana, I think Mark Ruffalo is even in it. Come on. Yeah, I was just looking over his filmography and make sure we didn't miss any, like, major films. And it's a lot of films I did. It's a lot of films that I haven't seen, like Life. I never got around to that one. Criminal. He's barely in it. That's why I didn't mention it. He's yeah. he's like in it for only like the first ten minutes or something. Did you see Woman in Gold? Um, I did. I don't remember too much about it, but exactly, it's yes. pretty bad. <laughs> like it's. I remember yeah, what, Helen Mirren was in that, right? And uh, yes, I I think Katie Holmes. And and the worst thing about that movie is that so Tatiana Maslany is in it. And Mm -hmm. Tatiana Maslany is a national treasure in the making. Oh, she's one Mm -hmm. of my faves. And that movie absolutely squanders her talent to to a degree that I think is indefensible. Sure. But hey, maybe some people like it more than I do. (laughs) It's been years. I I saw it, gosh, six years ago now. So I mean, I don't know. Maybe I was in a bad mood. Yeah. I mean, like I said, the main ones I just remember are like the nines, the voices, buried and then surely below that one is mississippi grind like those are like in my view the great ryan reynolds performances and i i still really do enjoy his first deadpool performance yeah uh, it's good. in, in good the movie. solo film not not in uh, wolverine but um i i think he knows his stick at this point but like i said i think that's to his detriment i know i guess some people think that's to his benefit like he kind of he's he's in his mode and he knows like what people expect from him and all that jazz and it's like okay you know follow the money i mean you know get what yeah. you want but i just when i see something like free guy i'm just kind of just i'm over it i'm sorry like i'm just kind of over this see whole that's the thing. thing i watched free guy and if anything it renewed or it vindicated for me at least validated my love of the guy because here he is again taking a movie that i think just would not have worked at all and kind of turning into something that's fairly enjoyable in my uh, opinion uh, okay yeah here we go all right last thing i'm gonna say i actually i brought up his filmography as well because i was curious if i missed anything uh, a few things I, I we missed uh, turbo and like the crudes and stuff mm-hmm. which i never saw the crudes so, or turbo so i didn't really know he was part of that Good but fun. also i never knew that he was the narrator of a documentary a nature documentary so i really want to see that because uh, what <laughs> like that's hard to imagine I think that's sort of like a rite of passage, I guess, with like prominent actors. Like you get so famous that you just kind of have to do that. Like, you know, there's never like a, a bear documentary that like Tim Allen narrated. I don't doubt it. You know who I would <laughs> love to hear narrate a documentary? Joe Pesci. Uh, yeah, sure. What type please, of documentary? Please, God. A meerkat documentary. Of course. Okay. So we're going to get... You see these meerkats? Yeah. Hey, what's the matter with you? Come on. <laughs> Get out of here. He just starts cussing them out because yeah. they won't and they start running away. Oh, you got a problem? <laughs> it is what it is. I, I would I would like to think if that <laughs> happened, it wouldn't be him actually talking about the meerkats. They just like they get an hour yeah. and a half of audio. Never, his Joe wife Pesci comes in the room and she's just yelling like, at a PA <laughs> and they're just like we didn't say anything about meerkats. Like we can work with this. Hang on, hang on. Give me give me like two yeah. days. I can put this together. That's our pitch to Hollywood. Make it happen. So free guy. Uh, so we've been we we haven't even talked about the movie yet, but that kind of you know, that's what we do. So you kind of mentioned this. It's original, right? Like original in the sense it's not based on existing IP. That said, 
it, it does borrow and lift from a lot of existing things you're familiar with. It's not the kind of movie where you're watching it and you're like, there's nothing like this in the world. No, no, no. This movie, like literally, like I wrote my review of it and I, I looked at some other reviews and people are all like mentioning the same stuff. And that's kind of how you know that like the the film clearly is ripping probably a little too closely from things. So the concept is it is it takes place in an open world video game mm-hmm. called Free City. And the first thing that people are going to look at this and be like, okay, this is just Fortnite meets Grand Theft Auto. And I said that in my review, I I must have seen six or seven reviews that said the exact same thing. See, I was thinking Grand Theft Auto meets The Sims. I didn't see anybody mention the the Sims. I, well, I don't you see go. this. Well, that's the thing. I don't see the Sims at all because that sort of that is sort of against like the ethos of this film, which is like mistreating like the violence against NPCs. You don't really get that from the Sims. The Sims, you sort of like control every character, right. so it doesn't there aren't really NPCs necessarily. So I, I don't know if that totally works. Well, what I, I'm not talking about the concept of. I just mean like his body language, like the way he walks around, like it's like this kind of like weird, like. Bobby stilted sort of way. Sure, and that sure. Felt very, you could totally, like, Sims yeah, esque yeah, to yeah. Me. You could you could draw those similarities. I think it just doesn't occur to me because like most NPCs also are like that, not just the Sims. So that's probably why it didn't really occur to me personally. But the the other thing people keep keep throwing around with this in terms of movies, the two big ones are the Truman Show, Wreck It Ralph. Actually, I'll add a third. Uh, Ready Player One, <laughs> like those three movies. Also, people bring up the Lego movie a lot. There are a few scenes that really mm, make you think yes. it's a Lego movie. Yeah. And uh, Pleasantville as well. Uh, More in the second half. Uh, slightly. I don't know. I, I Sure. Sure. But I don't think as I don't think like that's as strong as an influence or obvious influence. Something like Ready Player One, The Truman Show. And uh, the big one that you didn't mention, John Carpenter's They Live. Especially with the yes. sunglasses. Yeah, 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 I forgot about that one. That one, so but that okay. So of all the influences, though, that one's probably my favorite because that one actually feels like a nice touch to the movie. It doesn't feel like an underlying DNA that is just ripped from something else. And it's so ironic too because that's part of the plot. <laughs> like the whole plot is like how bad this video game is for sort of stealing the intellectual property of like independent creators i don't know i I think if you actually unpack this movie it is kind of outrageous some of the things it touches on but i will say that you know as we we're going to talk about it i I actually did enjoy this one and it sounds like i enjoyed it much more than you did the plot is that we're in this open world video game like we said ryan reynolds plays a non-playable character or an npc so these are the characters in video games that like you just sort of like they pass you by they're nothing but code you know, like you see you like rob the bank in a video game. They're the ones that like put their arms up and, you know, they're NPCs. They just sort of exist to be fodder, to be like blown in explosions. And you're not supposed to care about them. But then this movie posits, what if an NPC who looks like Ryan Reynolds, who's a bank teller at the bank and his best friends with a security guard played by Lil Royal Howery, what if he becomes self-aware? And he suddenly is like, you know what? I, I'm an, you know, I'm just a bank teller guy. I'm just, my name is literally Guy. What if I could be one of the, the players in my world? He doesn't realize he's in a video game. That's where the Truman Show stuff comes in. But he sort of recognizes that there are people in this world who wear sunglasses who get to do all these cool and amazing, incredible things. He wants to do cool, amazing, incredible things. He's inspired and has like this big crush on a particular player played by Jodie Comer. 
and he decides that he wants to get her attention. He gets his hands on some sunglasses and becomes a player in this video game, not even realizing his world is nothing but pixels and code. And the movie kind of goes from there, and it's sort of this like kind of action comedy where people don't understand how in the world is this NPC like racking up all these points and like he's doing it without being violent. And, uh, you know, the coders are trying to rate him in, but they can't seem to figure him out. One of those coders is played by Joe Keery of Stranger Things fame, who has a connection to Jodie Comer's character. Uh, she's trying to expose the, uh, per- the not the inventor of this game, but like sort of the big like Activision slash EA sort of, you know, conglomerate that is creating this game. They're just trying to monetize it, squeeze pennies from people. And she's trying to prove that they ripped off an independent game that she worked on with Joe Curie's character. So all that stuff's going on. The person who's sort of in their way and who the, the big bad of this movie is played by Taika Baititi and the sort of like very, very charismatic, uh, villainous tech bro performance. Lots of other performers here. Utkarsh Amutkar, who you might recognize from Britney, runs a marathon, is in this as one of the other coders. Uh, it's it's a big it's a big movie in terms of like all the stuff going on, lots of special effects. There's some cameos. Channing Tatum shows up a bit in this movie. I won't spoil anything else. I mean, Channing Tatum shows up very like early on, but yeah, there's a couple other really fun uh, ones. Yeah, I wasn't gonna give that one away, but uh, Channing Tatum. I mean, he's yeah. literally in like in the, what the first scene. Okay, yeah, I, I didn't know that going in, so I was gonna keep mum about that one, but oh, that's fair. Uh, I, I feel okay about that since it's literally the first thing. Whatever, <laughs> I don't yeah. think they treat it as like a surprise or anything. But. I mean, I've already seen people on Twitter, like in the trending section, spoiling the probably the biggest cameo in this. So, Which I would not do that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I wouldn't give that one away either, but it's already out there, I guess. So, you know, whatever. I know people were not looking forward to this movie. They were kind of they were sick of it. They were like, we've seen this trailer a million times. Uh, I had seen the trailer a few times and, and I don't even really like watch trailers. That's how, you know prolific this this film was and you yeah. know to that end people are like oh this was such a big success yeah i think probably because the marketing was good like they are not maybe not good but just like it was in your face like people knew this movie was coming and that does make that still makes a big difference so i'm just adding that in as a factor sure i i think like i said before i think it's a it was because it was a theatrical exclusive and the marketing and people you know despite yeah. my grievances people like ryan reynolds like and i understand they why do. like he they he's an appealing uh irreverent but also kind of teddy bearish type of guy and people like that and that you know that i'm not gonna take that away from anybody because i generally like the guy despite my my yeah. occasional grievances with him deadpool won him a lot of credibility with the masses they now sort of perceive him as a very funny guy and I think one of the big best things the guy has done with his career sort of in like the last decade is sort of define himself around one of the main collaborators and creative voices behind the Deadpool movies. People kind of know that he was like a big force in how those movies kind of came about and were pushed with Fox. So I'll just say, yeah, there, there is a little bit of a narrative that he just as a person independent from whatever he's working on tends to be funny and reliably entertaining. So just putting that out there. Yeah. As well. But also, I, th- I think a big part of it, too, is that he's willing to make fun of his star image. Oh, I mean, totally. obviously, like, like the Green Lantern stuff, obviously. But, like, you know, just in general, like, he is, you know, a conventionally handsome, self-reflective guy. Too seriously. Yeah, self-reflective, yeah. yeah. But, like, also, like, he's willing to kind of, like, acknowledge that, you know, he has a lot of uh, things going for him. And that, you know, he's, you know... Someone, it, he, because of his sense of humor, I guess that's, that that kind of gives him an edge as opposed to like, 
you know, a million other bland Hollywood leading men that just kind of come and go. And, you know, there is something to be said about how the fact that he's been around for, I guess now, like, what, two and a half decades as a performer? At, at least 20 years, if not yeah. more. Like, 20 years he's been, like, pretty, like, recognizable for and most And still people. going strong. I mean, that's that's not an accident, you know? Like, I mean, God knows how many tries he had to do, you know, to get to that point. But, um, yeah, you know, he he stuck around for a reason, I think. Absolutely. And, and the guy's, you know, he's not that, he's still like relatively young. He's in his early forties. He's still got a lot of career to career left in him. Now that said, I do think that free guy is one of those movies that probably he's a little bit too old for this part. There were times where I was like, man, this sort of feels like one of those movies where like Will Ferrell is trying to play yes. somebody 10 years. Well, younger. that's, that's my, my main thing I was going to say. Is, is it? Okay. Well, yeah. Let me just get out of the way. I really like this movie. And I, I think that it's really funny. I think it's really fun. I had a good time watching it. I think that all the criticisms I can lob at it, all of its like downsides and everything, I don't know. They, to me, at least, they just were not a big deal. I was able to get over them pretty easily, and I haven't really dwelled on this film either way since seeing it. But when I think about it, like when I reflect back on watching, I was like, yeah, you know what? That was a fun movie. I could see a lot of people watching this, having a good time. It's not going to blow their minds, not a game changer, but certainly a good time at the movies and an easy one to watch with families because it's PG 13. There aren't, there isn't a lot of content in here. That's going to be really bad for kids necessarily. Like, you know, younger, younger kids, I would not take to this movie, but you know, like around middle school, pre-teenage, totally appropriate for them. I think, uh, for most families, depending on what your you know standards are, parent to parent. But yeah, I just I just think that's another factor. It's like it's everything we just said. Plus, I also think that it's PG thirteen. It's just edgy enough without being too edgy, kind of like a Marvel movie for people to take their families, and that of course generates more in you know <laughs> more interest and more like dollars into the box office. But Will Ashton, I yeah, I get the sense you're not as into this movie. So yeah, where are you at? Uh, it's not them like against it. I'm just kind of like it's fine, and I was kind of looking forward to it to some extent before I guess the marketing because I, I the premise of it. I mean, Truman Show, one of my favorite films. They live great film. Really like Wreck It Ralph, Lego Movie, all the films we mentioned. Uh, I'm just like, yeah, we're just gonna kind of put them in a blender and and make a smoothie of all these films that I love. And like, right on. And it's original property, you know. Original, I guess, kind of in quotations, but original nonetheless. Uh, and it's like, yeah, bring it on. But when I'm watching the film, like, in my opinion, it's like, it's not quite working because I think Ryan Reynolds is just miscast in the part of Guy. Not solely because of his age, but because when I'm watching it, like, as soon as the movie starts, I'm like, okay, he's playing Buddy from Elf. Like, that's like his objective. I think even on record, he said that that was like his main inspiration for the part. And I think Buddy works because uh, Will Ferrell, even though he is, you know, similarly kind of self-reflexive, has like, you know, a kind of uh, an edge to him in certain comedic roles. He can play Ernest really, really well. And I think he can kind of tap into like that childlike glee and earnestness, like I said, really, really well. And I think Ryan Reynolds is, is incapable of doing that, at least at this point in his career, because there is kind of always like an edge. There's always sort of a sense of like he's aware of it. There's like almost like an ironic kind of sense of like, I'm doing this, but I'm not really doing it. Like and and when I see the film and I think back to like the coffee barista scene and like he has like a line, it's just like this is like me like uh 
sticking my tongue in God's mouth or something like that. I'm just like, okay, then this doesn't work because it's like he's riffing in the part as if like he's Ryan Reynolds and not Guy. And to me, it's just like, I think this performance would work if it was someone like, and I know this is probably going to get me some heat, if it's someone like Chris Pratt, who I think can kind of tap into like that that sort of like dumb, like jocular sort of personality, but also have like that kind of cuddly soft side to him. But then I think like, oh yeah, we've seen that movie. It's called the Lego movie. And it's I was about like, to say, I was yeah. like, I'm surprised you're saying that, you know, of all people. Right. Well, I I mean, I've I've been softer on a, on Chris Pratt, at least as an actor. I mean, I'm not gonna like defend him as a person or anything like that, but I think as an we actor. I don't know him, you know. Yeah, I, I don't know him. He hasn't invited me to his house. Yeah, um, not yet. <laughs> maybe someday. But um I mean I would love to meet Anna Ferris. Uh I guess they're not really super close, but they keep in touch. But nevertheless, they have a kid together. And, yes. and look, I, I, I know people like to rag on Chris Pratt. We don't know the guy, but I will say like people who work with the guy, know the guy, they, they seem to love him, you know, and I, I don't think that's a small thing that, you know, especially in this industry. So that's my opinion. Yeah. But in any case, we're not, we're not talking about Chris Pratt, the runner, uh, maybe someday. Um, but yeah, just when I think of like, I think that's my main hang up with this film is that like, I just, I see it. I think the premise could work. I, I think the script's kind of basic, but if you have the right star, it comes to life. And like I said, I think Ryan Reynolds works in certain roles. And I think he can really push himself and deliver very complex, tragic sorts of characters. I just think this movie, not only do I think it's indifferent to sort of the headier theological themes that it introduces, but also I just, like I said, I just think, Ryan Reynolds as a performer, at least in this film, is like too glib and self-satisfied to really kind of pull off that naivete that's inherent in Guy, at least in the, from the get-go and, and as we see him evolve. I just don't think he quite handles that transi- transition in a way that, that makes me believe it and subsequently really gets me involved in Guy's plight. It just kind of feels like he's too knowledgeable, like too on the nose about it, too uh, like sort of like in on the joke to really sell the joke. And I, I, I know a lot of people feel otherwise and that's fine, but just that's my main hanging up when I'm watching this film. Yeah. I, I definitely feel otherwise because on the one hand, I think that the thing outside of his control is that he just doesn't look very young. And so I fully understand like that sort of like cognitive dissonance of seeing this guy sort of like doing the buddy, the elf thing to what you're saying. I think the reason it still works is because First of all, the movie doesn't take itself so seriously. Like it does a little bit, maybe a little bit too much, but it doesn't take itself so seriously that you can't buy that somebody who looks like he does is being so earnest works as like this character. I think I was still able to find it really funny because Ryan Reynolds, I just think is a very funny guy. I I, like even in movies where he's, you know, not the best in the film or he's in a movie that's not quite working like hitman's bodyguard's wife or whatever. I think like the, the few things that I liked about that movie fine were Ryan Reynolds. I just think he does have great comedic timing. It's like the one thing about Deadpool two that I still think translates okay from the first Deadpool, which is the guy has a funny voice and knows how to use it and his facial expressions, you know, not as much in Deadpool because he can't, you know, he wears the mask, but like, you know, like when he's, his voice is half of his facial expression, if anything. And in a movie like this, I do think it really fits. It really like fits 
the sort of like he does look like an NPC. He looks like a character you would just sort of like walk past and not think twice, at least the way they present him in this. But he's enough of like an action hero bod to sort of do all that sort of thing and for it to be believable and not to be too cartoonish. And I think that's what would have probably happened with Chris Pratt. I think they just would have fallen into the Guardians thing, which wouldn't I don't think would have worked for this movie as much with an actor like him or somebody like him. So that said, I yeah, I, I think Ryan Reynolds is well cast here. It's not the best casting in t- in terms of like, man, he really looks the part a hundred percent. But yeah, I got I got to disagree, and and I'd say that it, the movie doesn't rest completely on Ryan Reynolds because I think that it has two other clutch performances that I don't think if if we didn't have them, I think this movie would have really lost me, and I think we're really going to disagree on this. I don't know, but the mm. first one is Jodie Comer, and I am so oh, no, excited I about. It. Okay, she's this great. one we can agree. Easily the best we'll part there. of the film. Yeah, she's great. Love her in this. I think she's so good that, like, I was questioning whether or not Joe Keery is all that great because I didn't think that he was, like, holding his own against her on screen. And I like Joe Keery. <laughs> so I was a little bit like, huh, I wonder I wonder what it is there, if it's the writing or something. Um, I, I wasn't yeah. as into that character. Like, I didn't like him as much, but I cared about him because I knew that she kind of cared about him. So I was like, okay, I bought yeah. into it, but still. I agree. I think he's the type of character that I think they put more thought into what glasses he would wear than what his inner life would be. Oh, that's spot uh, on. <laughs> yeah. At least as far as like the filmmaker. I'm not talking about Joe Keery as an actor, but um, yeah. I just, yeah, I, yeah, I think he's like fine in this. I think, I think he's been really good in stuff like Spree. He's fantastic, but uh, yeah, and this, Still he's haven't just like, seen whatever. Spree. Yeah. And I, but you know, I, I like him a lot in Stranger Things. He kind of elevates a role like in that first season and the subsequent ones when they realize what they had. So that's why it's a little surprising to me that he's not very strong in this, but I do wonder if it really is because Jody Cummer is that good. That said, I mean, Joe Curie held his own with Maya Hawk in Stranger Things season three. So I don't know. I don't know what it is. And Maya Hawk is fantastic. But that said, Jodie Comer, I mean, not a lot of film performances. We are going to see her again, I think, later this year. I think Last Duel is her oh, next yeah, yeah. film. Mm-hmm. And some good buzz about that one. I hope it's good. Uh, but yeah, she's going to be in that with like Ben Affleck, Matt Damon. You know, we're really going to see her sort of uh, come into her own. I think the only other film... I've seen her in was like she had like a blink and you'll miss a cameo in Star Wars The Rise of Skywalker. Uh, I don't know if you remember that. I don't. She she plays Ray's mom. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> I try to forget that film, <laughs> to be honest. <laughs> she's not that young. Too. I mean, like Jodie Cummer, she's a little bit younger than me. I think she's around your age. Like okay. she's like in her mid late 20s. All right. But yeah, she's kind of she's been more on the TV side. People are going to recognize her if you're a fan of uh, Killing Eve. Um, she's good. one of the lead characters in that. Uh, she was one of the lead characters in The White Princess, uh, which is a mini series, very, very good mini series. So she's been in a bunch of stuff, and so I, I, I don't know. I, I think that, uh, I think that she might be on an ascent. We could be witnessing, you know, a little bit of a Jodie Comer sort of uh, build up here. I hope it happens. Yeah, I mean, I think, I mean, like you said, I mean, I this is the first time I really took notice of her. I haven't watched Killing Eve yet. I've heard it's great. Very I'll good, probably yeah. get to it eventually, but. Um, yeah, I mean, this is like my, I guess, formal introduction to her. And yeah, my main takeaway from this movie is like, yeah, I don't really care for it, but she's great. Like I'm, I'm interested in what she's doing next. I'm going to keep, keep an eye on her. Here's where I think we'll probably disagree. I really like Taika Waititi in this. Okay. Yes. I I think he's awful. I didn't think I would like him. I think the first scene I was like, oh no, what is this? I think he grows on me as a character though. And I think the thing I like about it is for once, we're kind of getting a tech bro performance that is so off the rails 
it actually kind of works. I'm thinking about all the tech bro villain performances we get over the years. The main offender for me, one of the worst ones of all time, is Venom. I know we're going to get another Venom movie here in a minute, but that main guy in Venom, was it Riz Ahmed? It was yes. somebody, I, I can't remember. Yeah, he as, plays uh, the villain in that. As Elon Musk. Adjacent. Terrible. And I, I just, I hate how f- so many blockbuster movies, especially, just don't understand what's villainous about that tech bro persona. It's so cliched and hackneyed. I think that like one of the better versions of that we get are maybe in like documentaries, like something like uh, the Theranos documentary, Out for Blood or Bad Blood, whatever it was called. Uh, that to me is just like, oh, that is such a cold reptilian sort of look, you know, at the sort of tech bro, like person who is so polished and is like public relations to death. Uh, but anyway, in this movie, Taika Waititi, I think, is just so entertaining and is actually pretty funny. And I think that he serves a purpose in here not to be deep, not to be sort of like he's also not super one dimensional. I mean, he kind of is. But I, I don't know. There was just something about the way that this character sort of like develops over the movie that I super enjoyed, uh, maybe because it was so like out of control and weird. But I have a feeling you completely uh... disagree. <laughs> Yeah, no, I thought he was awful in this, like, spectacularly bad. (laughs) Like, I don't support the Razzies in general as an organization, I guess, but I would be happy if they gave him a nod for this. And I like, generally, I like Taika Waititi. I'm kind of, something after Ragnarok kind of, like, shifted for me, especially with Jojo Rabbit, where I'm, I I think he he made a great film. It was uh, What We Do in the Shadows, and I think he made a very good film. Oh, yeah, one of my favorites of the decade. with Boy, I think that's a yeah, quite good Boy's film. Yeah, Boy is really good. Uh, Hunt for the Wilder People, I really liked. Oh, yeah, I forgot about that. Yeah, that was good. Um, yeah, this, I, I get what you're saying. Like, I kind of, that petulant man-child sort of thing. Like, I, I get it. But it's also, like, scene one. Okay, I get the joke. What, where do we go from here? Okay. Like, we're just doing this again. And it just, it, it never evolves. Like, it's a type of performance where it's just, like, it starts at 10 and it stays at 10 and it's just like it, it. I found it to be incredibly grating as as a performance, and I felt like all the riffing that they had him do, like he does, like a "What you talking about, Willis?" joke in the year of our Lord twenty twenty one. We're doing "What you talking about, Willis?" jokes. I think I think we've we've earned it. We've made it. <sighs> Enough time has passed. I uh, I'm glad you liked. It. I'll just I'll leave it at that. I did. I did. And hey, look, this is a reuniting. Uh, of him and Ryan Reynolds, right? Yeah, because they were both was, in a Green Lantern. Yeah, that was, that was my main takeaway after. Isn't that fun? One of my main takeaways is that like these two need to stay away from each other. <laughs> <laughs> Look, I love him. So I love him as Quark, one of one of the breakout Marvel characters we've seen. Uh, just yeah, that's good. Yeah, just well done. Mm-hmm. I know I like Jojo Rabbit uh, a lot more than you did. I really really enjoyed that movie, and I really liked his Adolf Hitler performance and just how he handled that character. I think that that was, I, it's a weird thing to even say out loud, but it's true. Sure, and it was a good performance. I get what you're saying because I I think that I was starting to feel a little bit of like Taika Waititi'd out after Mandalorian, which I know you haven't seen, but or actually, did you see the first season of that at least? Not a single. I've seen one scene from The Mandalorian. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So he he has a character. But he just does the voice of a character, and I was kind of like, uh, okay. And then uh, it's not bad or anything. I think I was just being a little bit like maybe a little bit of fatigue. It kind of came around again with the Suicide Squad, where he has like a cameo in that movie, where I was like, why Taika Waititi? Like I don't know. It, it's not 
bad. It's not good, but it's, it's just sort of like, it just feels like a throwaway performance, which I don't know. He seems a little bit better than, but I, he's fine in it. So all that said, I just sort of think that Taika Waititi, very great guy. The only thing that I'm nervous about, and maybe we will agree here, is that he's sort of losing that indie touch, which is where I think he thrives. Yes. And is just sort of like devoting all of his time to these sort of like crowd pleasers, which aren't inherently bad, but I just hope he's able to balance it because like what the next movie we get from the guy is Thor Love and Thunder, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. I mean, well, if we look at Boy and what we do in the shows, like I think what works so much about them is that like they set up like a certain genre and tone and then they kind of pull the rug on under you by like being something else as it goes along. And I think since we kind of know what the joke is at this point, when, when he like does a role like this, it just doesn't like, I don't think the character evolves. Like I don't think it does anything beyond just like what the joke is inherently from the get go. I just found it to be uh, just tiresome from, from start to finish as far as like all of his scenes in the film, because yeah, like I like I watch Silicon Valley. Like I get like what they're trying to do here. I just don't think there's a lot of nuance or entertainment value to be mined from a performance like that that doesn't doesn't really, in my opinion, have a lot of wit or uh, nuance. I guess, like I said, to it. For but, me, I think it's it's mostly the clothes. I just I just love it. Sure, like how he dresses. They're not doing the weird thing where he's like wearing a hoodie, and they're just doing the Mark Zuckerberg joke again. Uh, maybe that's partly what it is for me. But yeah, I, I, I think I've covered basically everything I want to say. I'll finish with this on Free Guy. You know, I've already mentioned the main thing. The main takeaway for me is that I just think that it's it's funny, it's enjoyable, and amusing. It's uh, It really is the kind of movie that's like pretty easy to recommend. Just, you know, just don't don't blow up your expectations. And, ho- you know, hopefully Will has helped you manage them, um, as we tend to do here. But I do think most people watching this will get something fun out of it. Like, I don't think people are going to watch out. Of the, people are going to walk out of the theater being like, that was a total waste of my time. Maybe some people, but not a lot. And I, I also think that in a weird way, this movie says does say something kind of weird about gamer culture. On the one hand, it does kind of get a lot of like inside jokes with gaming and stuff, but not deep cuts. Like if you are a hardcore gamer, I don't think that this is like the video game movie that really captures what it means to be a gamer. But I also think that's kind of for the best because like, who cares? I guess like most people aren't. It's so niche that that kind of that kind of movie does have its place. And I would love to see something like that. But, you know, for this kind of thing, it's not very relevant, I guess. So I, I, I kind of give the movie a pass on that sort of thing. But I do think it sort of gets the the enjoyment of gaming, like what most people who play like mobile games and all these things, what, what most people are like when it comes to games, I think that it captures that pretty decently. It does play like the same joke over and over again of like these kids playing like hyper violent characters and stuff like that. There's this weird message in the end of the movie. I won't get into too much detail, but I don't know. It's kind of getting into this whole thing of like, you got to respect the rights of AI and NPCs and I was like okay like I I, it felt like a very odd message like it just didn't feel very relatable or important at all and the movie ends way too many times but I think again what saves it for me and we didn't talk a lot about him in this but Lil Rel Howery who kind of just comes into this movie and ends up kind of for me kind of saving it you know from being a little bit of a slog toward the end I I just think that like he has an arc in here I think his friendship with Ryan Reynolds character it is like extremely like token black friend and everything but man, these two, like, I would love to see another, like a buddy movie with just the two of them going on some adventure, doing some fun stuff. Because like, I just got the sense like, man, are these two like best friends in real life? 
Like I got like JD and Turk energy from this in terms of like how goofy they are, how they like sort of revel and like their friendship. And I don't know. I, I, it worked for me quite a bit. Um, so yeah, I, I definitely, definitely recommend for you guys. I think most people checking out are going to have a good time, but yeah. Anything else you wanted to cover off will before we move on? Um, well, without getting into spoilers, uh, the uh, Disney Disney vacation. I don't even want the Disneyifying. I guess Disney Disneyfication. Yeah, Disneyfication of it. Uh, I don't know if that was like because I don't know as far as like the the production timeline of this is if was if this was before or after the merger. But uh, I those are the moments I think for better or for worse. You're either gonna love it and officially win you over if if you hadn't been won over already, or that that's gonna be the breaking point. And for me, I, it, that was like the point where I'm just like, OK, this is not my thing, uh, not not my mojo. Uh, and, and I found those scenes to be not fun. But uh, I, I imagine for a lot of other folks, uh, including the couple in front of me uh, at the theater, that that's going to be the stuff that that's like, all right, this is what I want from the movies. This is what I want. I imagine they're the type of crowd that's not going to be particularly endeared by a net for instance, but I don't want to assume. <laughs> um, but yeah, I guess I don't know. Like you, like, I, I guess we're just kind of on different wavelengths with this film. Like I, I wish I was more responsive to it because like you said, like there's a lot here that I like. And I, I think there's some interesting thematics here that, that maybe uh, a more inquisitive film would want to explore. But this is just trying to be broadly appealing. It's, it's a blockbuster popcorn film, which not bad by any, not inherently bad, I guess. Like, you know, it, it it's just aiming to please and that's fine. I guess just personally, outside of Jodie Comer's performance, I just didn't find the film to be particularly funny, uh, inventive or endearing. I, I just kind of found it to be a film that settles for a sort of like uh, safe safeness that I, I guess I, I found to be more tiresome than not there. There are a couple of moments, I guess in the middle that, that won me over. There's like a montage for instance, that I'm like, okay, if the movie kind of keeps this wavelength, I'll, I'll be, uh, I'll, I'll be more appreciative of what the film's going for. But unfortunately I just found the rest of it wasn't quite as appealing as that moment. So, uh, yeah, I mean, it's, it is what it is. It's fine. A lot of gamers and other folks are going to dig it. Uh, not for me. And I'm kind of hoping Brian Reynolds does something that challenges his, his star presence a little bit more later on. But yeah, I've seen worse. I think these are the kinds of movies. I remember Reynolds was kind of saying, like, these are the movies I think he likes to do. I, I don't think he likes doing the other kinds that I think we respond to more strongly, to be honest. Um, and I think it's because he probably just has more fun with these sort of like playful roles. But who knows? Maybe that'll change in a few years. It, you know, actors go through different phases. And I think that part of what he probably liked about this movie is that it was a little bit closer and designed to something like Deadpool. I was going to mention to you real quick, uh, cause you mentioned the Fox deal and yeah, this, this movie started production when it was still Fox, the merger happened while they were making it. And then Disney like continued production. So we don't know this hundred percent for sure, but to what you're saying, like if you watch the movie, you'll notice there are some things that happened in this movie that very much, uh, allude to the fact that, you know, Disney sort of like made a couple of creative calls in terms of like some quick little things that happened here and there. So I, I definitely think it's very likely that it happened under Disney's pedigree. Also wanted to mention real quick, this is one of the only times this has been filmed where I was actually born. They filmed this 
in downtown Worcester, Massachusetts, which is where, you know, baby John came into the oh. world. So you always get to talk about Pittsburgh movies. I get to sure. talk about Worcester. So there you go. There you go. Um, <laughs> no wonder you like this so much. Yeah. Maybe that's what it is. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's my American pickle, you know? Yeah. But um, yeah, that is free guy. Uh, not a super long movie to 115 minutes. So just under two hours. Uh, you can check it out in theaters right now. We've already mentioned it's in uh, exclusive theaters. I think it's available. Like some theaters are actually doing it for real D 3d. You can check it out. IMAX and Dolby. And uh, also the movie is going to be um, actually, I think the real D was like before it was going to before the pandemic might not be anymore. So don't hold me to that. Uh, and then also, yeah, we'll mention of course, that the film is, uh, I, I wanted to bring this up because I was going to mention the Rotten Tomatoes, which is decent. You know, it's, it's actually pretty good, 82%. But its cinema score is an A, which, you know, that tends to mean that it's like, yeah, it's not the best movie. It doesn't mean it's the best movie in the world, but it does mean that like most people seeing it are liking it. So hopefully that will help you decide if it is for you. Sadly, it was not as much for Will. Let's move on to a movie, though, that maybe maybe it's a little more for you, Will. You know, I can't, we were talking, you know, a few days ago about this movie, Beckett, and you had kind of said, like, I think I think I'm kind of on the same page with Beckett as I am with Free Guy, maybe more. So I want to I want to follow that thread a little bit. Beckett is a uh, it's a Netflix film. And yeah, you, you gotta, you gotta mention the first is the first thing you mentioned about the movie to me besides, yeah, we both, we both knew that it was John David Washington, but mm-hmm. yeah, go ahead and tell the listeners what, what was it about Beckett that you were, that warmed your soul? Uh, I, I actually don't remember what I'm, you're referring to. That it was shot on film. Uh, oh yes, of course. Yes. Uh, yeah. yeah. I mean, shot in Greece and shot on film, which, uh, yeah. as nice we know, touch. I, I tend to like a lot of Greek films as well, uh, particularly Yorgos Lanthimos. So. I don't know if that was something that slightly endeared me to the film, but sure, that's something that I certainly appreciate. It's uh, one thing, yeah, because like when you watch a film and you're like, huh, this looks nicer than your average Netflix production, and you find out it was acquired and they shot on film, it's like, yeah, okay. They actually yeah, exactly. shot it like a film. <laughs> <laughs> exactly, exactly. Uh, yeah, I think originally it was being produced by Luca Guadagnino, and uh, yeah, it just kind of it went on a bit of a journey um, after that, but... Yeah, so this movie, like you said, and, and, and I will say, by the way, that I, th- I, I agree. I really like that this was shot on film. I, I think that it just, this speaks to a, a broader thing about Netflix properties in general, not just Netflix, but mainly Netflix, that it's just the difference between the quality of TV and film is getting way too close, and it's not mm-hmm. getting close in a good way. It's getting close in a way that like everything just feels like cheaply digital, and like done it done in a way that just doesn't have as much craft behind it as it could. Now there are some TV things we've seen that have been tremendously cinematic, but then we've seen so many like TV movies on Netflix and TV movies can be fantastic, but in the sense where they just feel like they could have just been shows, like they're interchangeable. You know, they they lack the sort of heft and the sort of like grainy transportiveness of something that was shot on film. I do think there is a difference. Like there is a difference of me feeling like I'm actually in Greece when the picture itself of John David Washington sleeping on a bus is like the overcast Greece countryside passes him by. That is an affecting moment. And a Mm -hmm. big part of that is because the visuals of it are so pronounced and they're so crisp and detailed. You know, it lends to the atmosphere of the film. We don't get enough of that. And I I want to give Beckett a ton of credit. I think that's one of the better things about this movie. Yeah, I mean, 
to be fair, like, I mean, obviously, not that all films that are shot on film are handling better, better looking or whatever. Obviously, a lot of stuff looks great on digital. But totally. I agree with you, like, with something like this, even though it's not like a super stylish or flashy movie, that graininess does lend itself to the kind of grounded integrity of the film where it is like, like you, you can see like the dirt and the salt and, and things. And like, like you said, the fabric and the texture of things that it, it gives it a little bit more life. It, it, it makes you a little bit closer to the characters. It, it gives it, uh, you know, like some feel or, or touch that, uh, that makes it easier to kind of get ingrained into it. Um, but you know, I mean, I don't think that necessarily like saves the film, but it does make it, I think, more interesting than if it was just shot on, you know, like a red camera or something. It just would have looked, you know, just a little bit more generic. I think I would have lost interest in this film very, very quickly. Otherwise, I think that so on the one hand, this movie and we're going to set it up, of course, it follows a very familiar sort of structure. It's kind of, you know, combining a few things. Its main influence is basically the fugitive. You know, our main story here is that John David Washington is an American who accidentally stumbles upon some sort of mysterious conspiracy, and he's suddenly being hunted in Greece by the police. He doesn't know why, but they are trying to kill the guy. He's injured. He suffered a horrific car accident. Um, he is a, like just dealing with like the worst of circumstances here. And it, originally he came to Greece with his girlfriend played by Alicia Vikander. He now finds himself trying to dodge police. He's not like a special forces guy. He, you know, he's not like, you know, he's not somebody who like comes out of this movie and is like, well, he has a certain set of skills. No, he's just like a regular dude, you know, at least when we first meet him and he's just trying to make it. So those are the things I kind of like about the movie is it has this sort of like to what you're saying lived in sort of groundedness. It's very gritty and it does have that sort of fugitive feel but where you know when a different location it's international the stakes are kind of heightened because he has to be really careful about who he comes into contact with. Uh, we eventually get introduced to a character played by Vicky Creeps who sort of becomes a part of the film in a big way. Love seeing her in this. I, I glad to see her back. You know, we saw her in Phantom, saw her in Phantom Thread. At least for me, it was the first time. And then we recently saw her again, right? In uh, what was that other movie we just saw her in? It was very recent. Uh, I'm drawing a blank, but uh, it'll come back to me in a moment. But yeah, that said, you know, it's not the most it, like you said. It's not flashy, and I don't think this thing is exceptionally written. Like there are some things about it that I do think are nonsense in terms of like. These people are making the dumbest decisions, and I just do not buy that this would be happening. It really strains belief that something like this would happen. So, and yeah. it, I, it, it, it holds the film back a great deal, and it's hard to sort of buy into it throughout. But, you know, I didn't, I wasn't like, oh, I hate this or anything like that. It just felt more padded to me. Like, it just felt like they kind of had to like stretch it out to kind of justify the film length. And old. in some ways, that's what we just saw Vicky Creeps in old. Oh, yes. Old, yeah. Um, well, I still haven't seen old, but uh, I've heard she's in. I heard she's quite good. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, with the, uh, with um, Beckett, where was I? Where was I going with this? <laughs> uh, I lost my train of thought, unfortunately. Yeah, I just uh, it. It's not the flashes, like the script of it. You said it was feeling like kind of padded, right? And yeah, I agree. yeah, it just yeah. I mean, it just feels like they kind of like. I get like they're kind of going for like the casual European vibe just because like it is shot in Greece. Uh, it has a lot of European producers and filmmakers involved. I believe this is the English language debut of the director. I don't know his name off the top of my head. Uh, but there, that is something that also kind of gives it a little bit of a uh, of an edge, I guess, that it has 
kind of more of a casual vibe to it, like especially in the beginning, like it almost kind of plays out like uh, a character drama. Like it, it, it plays out kind of casually as it, as it escalates. Uh, and even like when things are starting to get heightened and more extreme, there is sort of a like uh, a sly kind of um, uh, ease with which it kind of builds up the tension. And that's that those are the qualities I, I, I like a lot about the film that it, it, it kind of it doesn't like rush to the conclusions. It kind of allows things to kind of play out in a more naturalistic sort of way. But that also plays the film's detriment because. It, it lacks the movie's urgency. It doesn't feel like things are quite as important, even though they say they're very important. And we can kind of feel from John David Washington's performance that it's meant to be important. That it, it does kind of feel like the movie itself is almost weirdly indifferent to the plight of its main title character. <laughs> yeah, I think that's exactly it. I, I think that when we find out the mystery of like, okay, here's what's going on. I was kind of underwhelmed. You know, I was kind of like, oh, is that it? All right, I guess. I mean, it, it just was very, like, not expected necessarily. I think people will be at least, I don't know, maybe they'll be lightly surprised by some stuff that happens toward the end of the movie here. But uh, I don't know. There, there was nothing about it that was subversive, I guess. There was nothing about it where I was just like, man, that is, like, really hitting me on another level. It's just sort of, like, a very flat movie in terms of excitement. You know, it, it's the kind of movie where, like, the rising action never quite tops itself it's just a lot of scenes put together it feels like the director here is ferdinando cito filamarino never seen any of his films before i know that his first film is like not you know especially liked but his follow-up antonia did get good reviews I, I know some people who do like that movie quite a bit and i think this is like you know uh definitely a film i think that he I don't know if he, if Antonio was English language. I don't think it was, but I think this movie is a little bit more of like, okay, shooting for a wider audience and everything, especially with John David Washington here in the mix. That said, I, you know, I, I, I don't have a hard time thinking about the person who would like this. Like it's, it's, and it's weird because like, it's not a dad movie necessarily, but it is the kind of movie that like, I would I could see some dads liking this and finding it kind of interesting, but not loving it, not mm-hmm. being like, you know, like they would with like Greyhound or Lone Survivor, or like those kinds of films, mainly because I don't think that like what they like about those films, like dads is like, OK, this character is hyper competent, is going to come in and like do all kinds of awesome things. That's not really this movie. He's just kind of a normal dude. Yeah, I mean, there is something like I that's another kind of thing where it's like it's both what I like and what I find to be a detriment of the film is that like. Beckett, like you said, he's not very smart. He's not like particularly savvy in terms of like figuring things out. He just he's a Taurus who just happened to get into this turn of events that are weighing over his head. And like he's just kind of trying to to get out there with his life. And um, I'm not quite sure. I'm curious. Where do you really stand at this point on John David Washington as a as a movie star, I guess? Well, let's see. (laughs) I have been thinking about this. Because I was really, really unimpressed with, you know, how Malcolm and Marie turned out. But I wasn't sure, you know, it wasn't the kind of thing. That was his last movie, right? Malcolm yes. and Marie, it, it's not a bad performance. I think it should and, think it's pretty good. Yeah, it's, it's I, I kind of go back and forth a little bit. I'm never thinking, I never thought to myself during Malcolm and Marie, like, what is John David Washington doing? But I don't know, there was never, there was also no point in the movie where I was like, man, how do you, how does somebody act like that? I don't know. Tenet, yikes. I, I don't think he's bad in the movie, but I do think that he just is very dry, I think, in that mm. movie, in my opinion. 
Okay. I think the movie that I've seen him just really stand out is Black Klansman, and that's about it. You know, I think Monster, you know, he kind of has just sort of a bit role in that movie. It came out way later than it was supposed to. Uh, and I never did watch uh, Monsters and Men, right? That was one of the other ones he was yeah, uh, a lead in. I haven't seen it either. Um, I, I don't, I know, I've heard good things, but I, yeah, I, I, can't, I can't speak more uh, clearly on that. Yeah. And of course, he was in Ballers on HBO, which I uh, haven't seen. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, he was, he was one of the main episodes. characters in that, wasn't he? Yes, he was. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, I find. At this point, I find John David Washington sort of fascinating because, I mean, it's unavoidable. Like, he is the son of Denzel Washington, arguably, if not the best, one of the best actors working today and one of our rare bankable actors in a streaming era. And, you know, it's a given that if his son has, you know, the charisma, which I think generally he does. I've heard some people argue that he doesn't have charisma. I don't think it's necessarily true. I think he's trying to work off of his charisma and that, like, when I see him and Tenet in this, it seems like he's trying to downplay his charisma and kind of play it more like the anti-Denzel type characters, like the type of characters where... Yeah, he's more subdued. Right, yeah, more subdued, kind of more... Uh, He's innocent. cool, calm, yeah. cool, collected. Innocent is an interesting word, you know, like in something like Tenet. You never get the sense that he's just like a, a son of a, you know what I mean? Like he's not an anti-hero yeah. in a lot of things. But then in Malcolm and Marie, he does kind of do that. And I think maybe coincidentally, that's probably not, that might be why it's for me my least favorite performance from him technically. Well, that's the thing, I, right? Actually, no, yeah. Tenet would be my least favorite Okay, we just just disagree on ten. I guess I, think I just he's keep, I just keep good. going back and forth. You can't trust what I say. I, I just, sure, my opinion keeps changing. But yeah, I guess like Malcolm Marie by default is like his most Denzel s performance. Like that's him like monologuing. That's him getting riled up. Like what we kind of expect from like certain Denzel Washington performances. And I, I don't think he's bad at that, but it just seems like that's not the type of performances he's interested in. Yeah, going off of Tenet and Beckett. And even to some extent, Black Klansman, it just seems like he's trying to like kind of foster his own image. But I'm wondering if that's playing to his detriment because like a movie like this, like I don't think he's given a bad performance, but I just keep constantly thinking like if Denzel Washington was in this movie, it would just instantly be 40 times more interesting. I think if this movie had just been a romantic comedy with him, Alicia Vikander, just sort of like a or like a romantic dramedy or something. That was my favorite thing about him in this movie was when he was just sort of this sort of there was something about him where he was kind of holding himself back a little bit with her, but he was also fun and light and engaging. And I was really invested in the dynamic they had as a couple. And I think that is where he shines for me. I I got that same thing from bits of Malcolm and Marie when it's him and Zendaya, Zendaya just kind of goofing off and not really taking the movie so seriously. And then Black Klansman, you know, I think that that is a serious movie, like serious stuff happens. But the best stuff about that movie is when he's just like, you know, interacting and kind of like being a little funny and like, you know, him and Adam Driver kind of bouncing off each other. Like, I think to what you're saying, the guy has a style and he's smart not to try to just totally riff off of Denzel. Denzel, I'll go further. I think he's one of the all time great American actors, period. Sure. So yeah, that's what I was getting at, basically. Yeah, he has to avoid being in that shadow and being compared lightly. And I think he's making smart career choices, uh, at least in theory. But I think we've yet to see that role where, man, it is really just him firing on all cylinders. Yeah, I mean, I guess. Black Klansman's the closest we've gotten at this point. Uh, I think he was he was nominated for an Oscar for that one, right? 
Am I remembering I believe so. Yeah. yeah, I think, well, if not nominated, that might have been a case where Adam Driver was nominated. I will fact check that. And okay, then I, think I, I can't remember. That he got shafted. Yeah. Okay. But yeah, I mean, I, I think you, you might be on the ball there because like, yeah, like when I think back to his better performances, he is usually working with a co-star or a counterpoint. Like you said, Adam Driver and Black Klansman, uh, Zendaya, Malcolm and Marie, uh, even, you know, Ballers with The Rock. And uh, with Tenet, you know, he's even for at least part of the movies working off of uh, Robert Pattinson. And that's, yeah, I guess like Tenet's kind of the weird one because like both, like he's playing off himself and he's sort of, he's, it's another buddy kind of thing. And I think he feels yeah. more comfortable when he has a screen partner that he can kind of like bounce off of. In a movie like this, he seems just sort of uncomfortable. Like he's kind of playing up like what he's expected to do, but like it's just a lot of like crying and looking distressed and like, you know, being kind of frantic and stuff like that. And just the performance ultimately just becomes a bit repetitive. I don't think it's bad. It just doesn't seem like he's totally at ease with what he wants Beckett to be both the character in the movie. I think, yeah, I think we're pretty aligned on this one. Uh, so I fact checked it and yeah, that it is the case. He was not nominated, but Adam driver was, cause I remember okay. there was like a lot of like, seriously, like, John David Washington like makes the movie, you know, like Adam Driver is really it's good. His, in it. Well, it's his movie, yeah. Yeah, it is. It was very strange. Yeah, he didn't get nominated for Best Actor, and that is a, a bit of a travest, bit of a travesty there. But I think I think he has a, a fantastic performance. Common. I think the guy has a lot of sway. Uh, people are people are digging him. I think it is an actor. I, I hope that uh, Beckett and Malcolm and Marie don't soil that too badly. Maybe Tenet to an extent too. I, I don't know really what producers are kind of looking at right now with those movies. He does have another movie though coming up, the uh, the new David O. Russell flick, which oh uh, yeah yeah yeah. Let's run down that cast: Christian oh, Bale, yeah. Mike Myers, Margot Robbie, Robert De Niro, mm-hmm. Rami Malek. Yes. I know you probably not. Zoe Saldana, we mentioned her earlier. Uh, Timothy Oliphant, Michael mm-hmm. Shannon, Chris Rock, Anya Taylor Joy, yeah, Taylor say. Swift, mm-hmm. Matthias Schoenarts, sure, Indy Darling, and Andrea Riseborough, Indy Queen. So we're kind of looking at one of the most stacked casts <laughs> of the last few years. Yeah, um, yeah. It's and I think it's already been filmed. I think they filmed it earlier yeah. this year. So. Uh, we should be getting that pretty soon. Yeah, I mean, as we're kind of mentioning before, it seems like he, it, I think John David Washington has some sense of what he wants as a performer. And I think Hollywood's like still kind of lost. Like they're trying, like clearly, you know, like, I mean, you know, as a son of Denzel Washington, like we said, like the man, you know, at the very least, they're going to try to give John David Washington a star treatment. And I don't think he's squandering at this point. I think most of his movies are, or at least most of his performances are pretty good. I just feel like he's just not quite figuring out. Like you say, he hasn't quite gotten that performance yet where it's just like, okay, like he's a powerhouse. He, I don't think he's ever going to be Denzel, but like he can, you know, uh, justify his star status. It won't be like a nepotism sort of thing. Yeah. But uh, yeah, like I, I think I understand if people watch Beckett and they're just kind of like, so what's the deal with this guy? Like, why, why should we care? Like from this performance, if, if you only watch this performance, I guess I can sort of understand it, but I don't think it's a bad performance at the same time. Yeah. I like, I like that he's sort of trying to carve out his own sort of career and, and yeah, it's coming across like, he could easily do that, you know, where, yeah, it's not the, you know, statuesque performance of his dad. Maybe one day it could be, but it would be 
its own thing. And I think that's highly respectable. And yeah, I think that's this movie. It's it's respectable. It's, it, there's nothing about it that I think offends to any great degree the cinematic senses. There's just a few screenplay oddities here, some things that left some bad taste in my mouth, but not aggressively so. It, it's just it's just such a run-of-the-mill sort of political conspiracy thriller with just not a lot of flavor to it aside from some of the filmmaking, like the, the camera work, as we mentioned. And that said, I, I think that for me with this movie, this is such a good case of like good idea, bad execution. Right. I think that it reminds me a lot of a lot of those movies that we got sort of in like the the late 2000s, the 20 knots, where they were just like these sort of bland, you know, political thrillers, just sort of trying to like make movies really quickly off of these like political conspiracy things happening in like the Middle East. Because we were in such a post 9-11 realm. First movie I think of something like that is like Body of Lies. You know, it's just like these sort of like, okay, yeah, uh, they just don't really have much going on there, but they have amazing talent attached. So like, you know, people are interested to a degree. So yeah, for me, that's Beckett. Yeah. I mean, what's frustrating about it is that like you can kind of see the better film eking out throughout it. Uh, like you said, it, it does kind of echo not only 90s and uh, 2000 conspiracy theories, but sort of like the paranoia thrillers of the 70s, especially when like we see John David Washington from these like kind of empty vistas. But like there's always like the sense of like someone's tracking him or watching him and he can't be two steps ahead of himself because there's always someone trying to take him down for reasons unknown. And I think that stuff is interesting. And I also feel like the movie... Like, it has some political themes that it's trying to explore. It also kind of, like, sometimes taps into commentary on race, but it seems like it's too skittish to do either. Like, it, it anytime it sort of, like, broaches either topic, it, it kind of, it just avoids it. And like I said, there it feels like there's a void here where it wants to be a little bit deeper, wants to be maybe even, like, a meaner film, but it, it just kind of settles for being something a little bit more... Uh, generic and listless by by accent or maybe even by design and that might make it more broadly accessible but at the same time makes it more forgettable and uh, generic so yeah it just it, it it's there's something here like I, I don't think it's it's bad enough for me to be like that was a missed opportunity but I just kept kept thinking like I, I just wish it was a little bit better just to justify me being like, yeah, it was pretty good. It just, it seems like it's on the cusp, but never quite earning that status. All right. That is Beckett. I'm glad you mentioned the seventies vibe because like he even dresses like the clothes that he like has are very, very seventies. And I think that's very much on purpose. Yeah. And also like, just like Greece itself, like kind of has like a, um, a non-Western vibe. Like yeah, it feels yeah. like it's like kind of like, uh, trapped in time almost and, and I, I i do really like how the movie uses greece in that respect i think it's very interesting but Agreed. i don't know if it's enough to carry a film the timing of this movie too like the civil unrest and the sort of like being in, in an international place under such turmoil kind of easy to to draw upon that considering current events happening right now but uh we'll leave it at that so and i guess that's an evergreen statement you know but yeah, that is Beckett. It's available to watch now on Netflix. So low risk to check this one out. If you are a fan of John David Washington, you want to give this guy, see what this guy can do. If you kind of like this kind of setup for a film, it might be worth your time. I'd, I'd say check it out. It, it might just uh, be a fun Sunday afternoon watch on the old Netflix machine. And with that, let's talk about the next film. And we were going to finish with this one because we haven't, we haven't seen it since we, you know, since Sundance. It's actually been a while. 
And so we weren't sure if we were even going to cover it. Uh, I, I wanted to rewatch it. It's been it. a while. It's been a while. <laughs> I didn't have time to rewatch it, <laughs> sadly. Uh, by the way, another movie filmed in Massachusetts. Let's talk about Coda. And Coda was, what was it, the Grand Jury Prize winner at Sundance this year? If I'm not mistaken there. Yeah, it was the the first film that they premiered. It was the yep. grand opening film, and it was also the grand jury prize winner. How and I remember I remember when it won, it was one of those like really moments. Like it I I, I mean I won't get ahead of myself as far as like how we feel about the film, but it was kind of just like, oh, okay. Like that's I, that's, I, that's I mean, I was pick. not surprised. I was like, yeah, it's, because here's oh, the I'm thing. not surprised. It was Super just kind of more like <laughs> you know, that's Yeah, it was just kind of more like yeah, I wasn't surprised. Just more, just kind of like, oh, okay, I guess, yeah, whatever. That makes sense. That said, really good movie. So, uh, at least I think so. Coda, uh, if you don't know, all caps. It stands for Child of Deaf Adults. So, I was really excited to watch this movie and review it. And I, I was just looking at my old review because very personal to me. I mean, as the listeners, most of the listeners probably know at this point, I am deaf. Uh, you know, I I need to use hearing aids and. It's, it's very difficult for me to hear, basically, is what I'll say. Now, I'm not deaf to the point of total hearing loss, which is what we see in this movie. But, you know, if I don't have hearing aids on, I essentially can't hear. And this movie kind of is a family comedy sort of thing, but also more like a family comedy drama, I think is fair to say. It uh, has some pretty deep moments about this family where the parents and their son are deaf, but their daughter, Ruby who is played here by Amelia Jones in a standout performance. I, I don't think it's her first one. I think she's been like, you know, Doctor Who was like one of her things. And she's had like little roles here and there. Uh, I think uh, if I'm recalling, she ha- she was like a character in like one of the Pirates of the Caribbean movies, like one of the great, really bad ones. And uh, I think she was in uh, that Ben Wheatley movie, uh, High Rise. Uh, I don't know if you saw that. But she she's the main character here in CODA. And it's such a, like, what a debut, you know, in terms of like leading actress, like that kind of thing. And Coda is sort of about her. Like she's, she's the person in this family who can hear and she signs with her family. They're fishers. Uh, they actually like, you know, they have this boat. I mentioned it was, it's filmed in Massachusetts and they're trying to kind of make it, you know, it's, it's, it's obviously like they have their own challenges in terms of having to make money and sort of get by, but they're a happy family and they, they get along and everything. But Ruby sort of has her own plan. She kind of is like, I, I want to break away from the family business, do my own thing. She loves music, but she sort of is running into the conflict of that with her family. Uh, she has a teacher played by Eugenio Derbez, and he is trying to kind of steer her toward Maybe, you know, trying different things with her life, not being so tied to her family that it drags her down, but still remembering that like family is like that one thing, you know? And I think where this movie really shines is in these performances, especially from the parents here. Uh, Ferdia Walsh-Pilo plays um, Miles, who is, uh, I, I, I think uh, we talked about him, I know Sing Street, but we were doing Cinemaholics when Sing Street came out. Yeah, that was uh, a year was before, 2016, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. One of my one of my all time faves. He he plays uh, her kind of like love interest. So I, I did want to mention him real fast. But the parents are played by Daniel Durant and Marley Matlin, who are deaf actors. So they they actually have like you know uh, deaf actors playing these roles, which I think is just a really cool like uh, just addition 
to this thing. I'm sorry, not uh, Daniel Durant is the brother. Excuse me. Um, I think Troy Kotzer, if I'm not mistaken, is the dad. But I could be misremembering there. But that's it. They're they're all part of the family. But um, I I really like this movie. I I think what I like about it the most is that it's pretty unassuming. In in terms of like I don't know, it's not trying too hard. I think I think a lot of the times when I see these movies about like the deaf experience and like the deaf community and everything, I don't know. I just kind of get this feeling like they have to make such a big to do out of it. And obviously they kind of do here, but what I like about it is like, it just makes this experience feel normal. Like it's okay to be in a family like this. It has its challenges. It has its difficulties, but it's not like these people are oppressed and downtrodden all the time. They're fun. They have rich lives. They have sex lives, as I think is your favorite scene in this. They, I don't know, they just feel like people because they are. And that's just how it is. And to me, that is like such an uplifting thing. I think this is one of those movies that people are going to watch and like they're going to get a slice of people's lives that's going to help bring understanding between groups of people who don't understand each other. And so I, you know, at least in, in a one sided kind of way. So I'm a fan. I, I think that this movie is really wonderful and really sweet and charming. It's not fantastic. I mean, there was nothing about this movie where that really, really stood out to me aside from a few performances here, but I'm really glad it exists. And I, I really enjoyed it when I saw it at Sundance. Looking forward to revisiting again. I did forget to my disclosure. Now, I saw this movie before it was acquired by Apple. Um, so it's available on Apple TV+. Plus. That said... I do, I do work for Apple. So, you know, I have a little bit of conflict of interest there. That's, that's why though I'll say I, I did, I reviewed it. I saw it at Sundance before Apple acquired it. So it ain't, I ain't, you know, I ain't just trying to do it. I'm not trying to do anything shady here. So I'll just, sure. just say that. Oh, and also this is a remake for to mention that of a uh, French film. I, oh, I did called. not know that. Okay. It is. Yeah. Yeah. I, I I've drawn a blank on what it's called. Let me look it up real fast, but I uh, will. Uh, yeah. What, what do you think about this one? Yeah, I mean, I liked it. I, it didn't hit me quite as hard as it hit you. Um, I'll clarify since you brought it up the sex scene or the sex scenes in the film. I, they're not necessarily my favorite. I should I should say it's just more that uh, they're the, among the more memorable films. There are scenes in the film when I think back uh, on a film I saw, gosh, now like eight months ago. Uh, one of at least three that I think back on are the the. Uh, borderline graphic sex scenes <laughs> that uh, tamper with otherwise, um, you know, like a, a, a uh, almost PG s sort of film. It's outside of some coarse language and stuff. Uh, you know, something that that's, uh, you know, generally a little bit um, uh, less willing to be risque. But uh, yeah, I mean, I think it it's your sort of quintessential sort of Sundance movie. It hits all the sort of beats you expect. It's a heartfelt film. I think the characters are well-realized, as you mentioned. The performances are fantastic. Um, I really like the family dynamic. I think the film's at its best when it just lets the family be a family and we just kind of understand via proxy just like what their dynamics are like, how they kind of interact with one another. Uh, I think the attention to detail and stuff, all that stuff is really, really strong. I just kind of wish the plotting of it was uh, a little bit more investing. It just kind of seemed like it was either trying to do too much and kind of going in a number of different directions, or it just kind of felt like it was taking the most predictable routes as far as where it's going in terms of the broad, or broad uh, general overview of the story. But at the same time, uh, I, as I think you're about to mention, I think once you just kind of get to those last 15 minutes of the film, it's just it, it's hard not to have your heart strings tugged, uh, oh, yeah. even if you know even 
a someone even someone like me who tends to be a little bit more cynical uh it's kind of hard not to be emotionally gripped in those moments part of it's a performance but also it just the movie is just really gentle and sweet and you can tell that the filmmakers really just love these characters and uh you know care so much about this dynamic and you know i mean i i i do you wish the film was willing to take more narrative risk or, or kind of swing in different ways than, than my expectations would expect? But when it hits those, it just hits those moments. And uh, yeah, just, you know, they work. Uh, I mean, you know, it wasn't like I was weeping or anything, but, you know, they it, it hit the old heart and uh, <laughs> it, it, it did what it was supposed to do. And, you know, by that measure, it is a success. Yeah, heartwarming is such the word for this movie, and it's heartwarming not just for like the, the sort of like you know the cry worthy sort of thing, but you know the drama, but also just the humor. You know, it's just it's very it's just it's just so fun, like you said, to just be with this family and enjoy their little idiosyncrasies. I think the the uh, tagline for this film is like every family has its own language or something like that, which I think sums it up pretty well, and. I, I know, like, I, I posted, I've been telling people about this movie for a while, you know, and it was one of those movies that people were asking me about at Sundance of like, oh, you know, how was that? Because they heard it won the prize and everything. And, you know, people were reading my review and, you know, asking what I thought as like a deaf critic and all that stuff. And so I, I recommended it to a bunch of people. And I've just, I've heard nothing but good responses. I mean, people have seen the film, reported back to me more, more than a few <laughs> and have said like they either cried during this movie or they just were like, you know, laughing the whole way through and really liking it. And I just, I just think it's one of those movies. It's, it's, it's not even that it's inoffensive because it has some edgy material as we've alluded to. I, I just think what people are liking about it is that like, it's fresh without being that innovative, if that makes sense. Cause it's not very innovative when it comes to its plot structure. You kind of know where it's going. You kind of know what the deal is. Like kid wants to break out of this sort of like oppress, not oppressive, but this sort of like family structure that's sort of like holding her back but she also cares about her family like none of it's new but it still just feels weirdly fresh it's hard to put my finger on why that is i don't know if it's because of the deaf commentary for me that's not what it is either i don't know if it's because of the main performance i don't know if it's because i'm just such of a, a shill for amelia jones and ferdia washpilo i i just i really like these actors i think that they have really good chemistry too and yeah, I just I love everybody in this movie. I just think I like these people. I like hanging yeah. out with them. And I think the dialogue too is generally pretty. Even though I have some yeah, gripes yeah, about well the um, the like plotting of the film, I think the scene by scenes themselves are well written. And I, I like that, like you were mentioning before, like you can kind of like you you infer a lot of things without them obviously spelling a lot of things out. But you can also like the dialogue feels fairly naturalistic, oftentimes in a way that that communicates this information while not feeling just like an exposition dump which I'm always yeah. prone to appreciate. Yeah. And it's like, even though it's doing the sort of like a, a lot of the other movies that do this sort of thing where the family is like, we need you to sort of hang out on the farm or wherever it is, even though you want to, you know, go to LA and be an actress, whatever it is, you know, but we need you, you know, usually they're not painted as sympathetic, you know, they're sort of painted as selfish, right? And I think where this movie kind of differs from that familiar structure is that you really see their side of it too. Like her side is pretty obvious and, and even her reluctance to sort of decide one way or the other, what she's going to do with her life. But you understand like she's in a really hard position, like yeah. her family, they don't, they're not being like, they need her like badly. 
right. without her. And they're, they're annoyed that they need her, right? Like, of course they are. Mm-hmm. They don't want to have to rely on her so much, but they do. And it's out of their control. It's out of her control. And so you sympathize with everybody. Yeah. I mean, I think it's the urgency, like you're suggesting, like there, there's a sense that it's not like, oh, they'll just get over eventually. It's just like, yeah, like, no, like not only in terms of like, uh, being strapped on cash and just like the immediacy of it. They just like, they need uh, a way to communicate. And, and like, this is kind of just like their, their mill person, their way of, uh, uh, being able to have a functioning business and kind of bring money and food to the table. And it's not like they, uh, want to push against her dreams. It's just like, they are just in a really tough place and they just, you know, they, they just kind of have a system now. And if this chain's going to break, then, you know, the whole ship might sink. So yeah, it's, uh, it's understandable for sure. I think in terms of like the, uh, the recent string of like festival films that are about deaf characters and sort of like introducing a lot of people who are not deaf to these concepts through film, I still think sound of metal is probably like the, the gold star in terms of like that representation, not that it's competition. I think that all these films have their own unique purpose and their own, you know, except for sound of violence, that movie can, you know, go f*** itself. But in terms of like movies that I think are really good and what people really like, I, I think, at least for me, uh, Sound of Metal in this film are definitely up there for sure. I'm curious if this is going to be like this year's Minari, you know, where it's going to get maybe a few Oscar noms, maybe not as many, but a few. Um, some. I don't know if it has like that Steven Yun performance or that Ya Jung Yoon performance where it's going to have like a big campaign behind it. But I wonder if it's going to fill that sort of niche, that sort of like, okay, here's a movie that came out at Sundance. It was, you know, pretty well liked by a lot of critics. It's not A24 though. You know, I, I, I might be stretching a little bit there, but what do you think? Yeah. I mean, well, for one, I didn't know we were allowed to say f- this whole time. So that's, that's exciting. <laughs> I couldn't help it. I mean, when it comes sure. to sound of violence, I just, you know, I sure. feel violent. Sure. There you go. Um, but in any case, uh, yeah, I mean, that's something I was kind of, kind of mentioned in my final thoughts, which is just that I think the grand jury prize, uh, win is going to probably hurt the movie more. And it's going to help overall just because I think people are going to have certain expectations for this. Uh, and I, I just think the film itself, it's not like unsturdy. Like, like we mentioned, I think the character dynamics are really well developed. I think there's a lot to like in terms of the attention to detail and stuff, but, I think people are going to kind of see the uh, broad plotting and the kind of uh, beat by beat hits that it, do, it does and just be like, oh, that's it. Like, I've seen this movie before. Like, you know, I, I mean, I've seen it from this perspective, but I've seen this kind of thing. And I, I think Minari is able to be a little bit more subversive, have a little bit more of a authenticity, I guess, to it that that kind of uh, prevents those kind of easy comparisons and uh reach uh you know a broader critical acclaim but at the same time i I think this movie is fairly accessible while also showing us a side uh like a family dynamic as you're mentioning that that doesn't often get portrayed in film and that feels very lived in and realistic uh um at least you know as far as it's portrayed I, i haven't been that type of dynamic so i can't say with certainty but um, I think, yeah, there's a lot to like here. I think we've mentioned just a lot, the general good stuff of it. Um, I can understand, uh, to push against what you're saying. I've, I've heard more people kind of coming out of this being like, you know, like three out of five, kind of like, it's True. pretty good, but True like, yet. I'm not like, 
loving Minari, it sort of Minari thing. was definitely a little bit more of like, whoa, you know, of a reaction. Sure. That's a good point. Yeah. And then this was kind of just more like, yeah, that's pretty good. I, I enjoy it. You know, like yeah, that's, yeah. that's kind of the vibe I'm getting. And I think that's because of the grand jury prize and like Apple, like, you know, doing like the heavy marketing and being like, this is our awards contender, or one of our award contenders. And like, this is our big acquisition from Sundance. Check it out. See it at home. And uh, yeah, I don't know. I mean, I, I think it works. I think it does what it needs to do. But like I said before, when I think of all the other movies we saw at Sundance and when I saw this one, one, it was just like that moment of like, yeah, I mean, it's good. Like it was, I liked it, but you know, that's, that's, what's going to win. And, uh, I, I, I feel like that, that has ultimately soured more than it's helped the film, uh, overall. Now I'll, I'll be honest if, uh, cause this isn't really like an Apple original, I guess. I mean, I guess we have to call it that. Um, I know people have like different opinions on like what the best of like Apple TV plus movies are. Some people are saying this is, I don't think it is. I really don't. Um, which I know some people would probably say like Wolfwalkers. People really liked that. I know a few people who might say Greyhound. Maybe some people might say like on the rocks, but for me, the best, their best work, the best work on like the Apple TV docs. And I say this again as an employee of Apple, but you know, I don't work on these movies. Uh, I think their documentaries have been more consistent. I'd say like the Billie Eilish documentary, for sure. One of, one of my favorite documentaries of the year. BC Boy Story, one of my favorite docs from last year. And Boy State, which I think if we were looking at all of these things, I think that is probably the best Apple TV Plus film you can watch right now. That is until I think maybe Velvet Underground comes out later this year in October, right on time for my birthday. So I'll leave it at that. But as for Coda, I think, yeah, this is one of the better Apple TV films uh, we've gotten so far. So uh, I definitely think that it's worth, worth checking out for sure. And it's not that long. Oh, and you know what? I, I should I should maybe, I did have one more criticism. I don't know if you wanted to comment on anything I just said real quick. But, I, but do you have anything before I get into my, my, my one uh, kind of like hang up with this movie? No, go ahead. Okay. So I got I to gotta say it. And I hate to say it because like I don't want to, I don't want to, be all grumpy you know i do think that there there is an issue with this movie and it's that it's a little weird you know that we spend the majority of our time on the one non-deaf character mm-hmm. and it's a little bit like i think that is probably the big difference between this movie and something like sound of metal we're with the guy the whole movie this movie we we, we really center things around the one person who is sort of affected by the disabilities of others. It was something that I was a little bit like, man, that's a missed opportunity in a way. I wish the family had been more integral to more of the movie because we spend a lot of this, you know, outside of the family unit, kind of to what you were saying before. We've been a lot of the time in the school with other characters. I think this movie could have been like masterpiece level if it had just paid a little bit more attention to the family dynamics in a way that felt more like just connected because it has those moments in it. It just, I don't know, pads its runtime with some extra stuff that distracts, I think, from the core message. So that's my one hang up. It's why I'm not over the, probably why I'm not as over the moon with this movie, especially in terms of like what it can hopefully do for representation. But it's still a really positive step forward. I don't want to like harp on it too much for that because I do think it's, it's better than most movies I've seen in that regard. Yeah, I mean that's a fair complaint. I like I said before, I, I think 
uh, because we do understand the family dynamic, we see enough there to to make them well-rounded characters and not feel like supporting strictly supporting characters. I, I think it avoids being a detriment, but I do agree with you that I think that might have robbed the film of being a little bit more urgent and impactful overall. But at the same time, you know, I think it's a solid film. Not one I've thought about a whole lot since I've seen it at Sundance. I think there have been other films that, that premiered afterwards that, that left a deeper or more lasting impression. Yeah. Now, do you mean afterwards, like at Sundance or afterwards in like throughout the year? In the months to follow. I mean, like, okay. uh, cause I was going to yeah. say there, there are other Sundance films. I like a bunch of other Sundance films that have really stuck with me, including my favorite film of the year. And, uh, also crypto zoo and yeah, a few other. Yeah. Films. And I think crypto zoo is coming out, uh, in a week or two, right? Yeah. I'm looking at my calendar right now and all it says is crypto zoo with a big circle. Sure. Uh, yeah, that's a fun, I might want to revisit that one cause that, that's a good time. But, uh, yeah, I mean, good film, enjoyable. I can see why it's kind of getting, um, positive, but maybe more lukewarm than rave responses from people. But at the same time, I, I, I can't imagine most people watch this and feel disappointed unless like they just really keep up with the buzz of Sundance and stuff like that. And the awards and festival circuits and, and have maybe loftier expectations than, than we did when we, we saw the movie, yeah. uh, uh, without any expectations at all, just being like, oh, it's an interesting premise. Hope that works out. Um, sort of thing. But uh, yeah, uh-huh. I, yeah, yeah. All right, well, that's Coda. It is available to watch on Apple TV Plus right now. I think it's also in some theaters, if I'm not mistaken. I believe that's the case. Uh, I think you might be able yeah. to see it. I think it was yeah. in some New York, LA theaters like earlier this month, and then now it's coming on to Apple TV Plus. Possibly so. Yeah. And I think it, yeah, I think it got a few more theaters on top of that. So you should be able to check it out safely and easily. Oh, and I, I found the, the movie that it's a remake of. It's uh, La Famille Bellier. It's a French film. Um, but I think it's, uh, I think, I think the director is French. Yeah. Uh, I should, I should be correct about that. But yeah, that movie, that's like 2014. So not, not super old, but definitely, uh, you know, same kind of premise like a family she's like her the interpreter for her parents and brother and pretty hmm. pretty close good deal next week on the show a few films coming out uh, i think one of the big films i really want to talk about is the night house i think that might be our main review if i if i get to pick i think that's what i would pick now the protege is also coming out the latest film from director martin campbell i was gonna see the protege tomorrow but i have to see shang chi instead it's my only chance to see shang chi <laughs> Mm-hmm. And so I'm going to miss the protege. I don't know if I'm going to be able to catch the protege at all. And I think we still should hopefully be able to talk about it. I don't think it's supposed to be very good, but who knows? Um, but I think Nighthouse, that, that movie, I don't know. I don't know. What do you think? Cause I know you were looking forward to Paw Patrol. That's hundred percent on Rotten Tomatoes right there. Is it really? I didn't know. It that. is hundred uh, percent. Well, that one I think is going to be on Paramount plus. So we don't have to. Yes, I, going to theaters to I see have it. Paramount Plus. I'll share it with you, Will. Uh, so you can watch it with me. Watch it at the same time. How about that? Live party. All right. There we go. Okay. I've never seen an episode of Paw Patrol. I don't even... Uh, I don't care. Like, I, apparently, Beckett. this is like the political thriller of our times. This makes Beckett look like a, like a tea party, is what yeah. I've been told. Yeah, there's like some... Is it like Variety or something? Variety. <laughs> had like some tweet where it's just like... Uh, a tribute to uh, um, essential workers and stuff like that. And it's just yeah. like, that's oh, some weird uh, quarantine brain stuff. If ever I've seen him, 
it's, it's one of those rare times where I think a review has actually like captured the internet's attention. Yeah. <laughs> it's pretty pretty great to see. Um, so yeah, we might we might just be talking about Paw Patrol. I think there's a good chance. There's also uh, Reminiscence, which is going to be on HBO Max uh, this week, and I do hope to see that as well. That is HBO Max, right? I'm not missing. I'm not. Yeah, I just talk, I forgot that was that's things. coming out this week. I forgot that. Um, I think it hits theaters this week. Um, it might not. It might not hit. Uh, HBO Max. Actually, no, because HBO be Max does it the same, same day. day. So I think it's gonna. Yeah, yeah, yeah it's gonna be on HBO Max. I, I had it right okay. the first time. Um, August twenty. I just double checked here, and yeah, that has Hugh Jackman, Rebecca Ferguson, Tandy Newton. I mean, I think Clive Owen too, if I'm not mistaken. I mean, we're we're in for a treat. Hopefully, sure. uh, I'm I'm hoping, and uh, yeah, so that'll be coming out. And what else do we have? Uh, I had I had a list here. Oh yeah, yeah. So Rare Beasts is coming out. Um, which I'm not super much looking forward to. I don't know if you heard of Rare Beast before. I don't even know what that is. It's uh, <laughs> so th- so this one is a uh, Billy Piper, uh, okay, the latest film from Billy Piper and That's, uh, uh, starring in it. Okay, so yeah. oh, it's their directorial debut. Yeah. Okay. Uh, Lily James is in it too. That's all I know about it. So. Mm, all right. That's that's rare beast. That's all I have to say about it. Okay. <laughs> I, I I tell you, I, it's because I don't watch trailers, so I can't tell you nothing about these things. But I only see trailers when I go to the theater. Like I saw the Jackass Forever trailer for the first time. Oh, I haven't seen that. During Free Guy, funnier than Free Guy, in my opinion. <laughs> all right. Uh, and then the the people in front of me who were like fist pumping during the like dizzy moments were angrily shaking their head during wow. <laughs> the Jackass Forever trailer as if like, what has cinema become? And it's what like, has right. cinema become, really? Yeah. I, 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 that's me uh, putting dialogue in my brain for what they're thinking. I have no idea what they're actually thinking. <laughs> maybe they're they're upset that um, Bam Margera is not going to be in the film, which, you yeah, know, maybe. that's a whole, that's a, that's a can of worms. And then the last film uh, I had here, uh, there's going to be a new Jason Momoa film hitting Jason Momoa film hitting oh, Netflix. You better believe it. This week. Shot in yeah, Pittsburgh. Sweet, sweet girl. Uh, yes. R rated. So interesting. And also Isabella I, Merced is in the film. Yes. I know a guy who worked in the film and really? I've heard stories. I don't really? know if I'm allowed to share them. <laughs> I am very excited. I mean, I, I was looking forward to it. I like Isabella Merced. We, I, we saw her in Dora and the Lost City of Gold. Fun movie. Instant Family. Weirdly fantastic movie. I still can't believe how good that ended up being. Uh, I Yeah, other people like that one more than me, I guess. I know. That sounds to be the case, doesn't it? Uh, but Jason Momoa, I know people like the guy from Aquaman. Sure, whatever. I like Jason Momoa from... Uh, First of all, I think that he's been really strong in the the Justice League stuff, uh, but also C, yeah, you know the show that nobody watches except oh, for yeah. like me and my partner, uh, but yeah. C where he plays like the the blind kind of like post apocalyptic guy. He's actually really good in that show. Um, I know that's just that's an opinion I have, and that's that's where we stand. I I genuinely forgot that was a show. I, I know think. most people do, <laughs> but yeah, I, I I think we'll probably end up getting the Sweet Girl. I. I I see that being a pretty good possibility. So that's what's on deck for next week. And I think of those films, I'm most excited to talk about The Night House. But, you know, I have to convince Will Ashton to watch it. Wish me luck, listeners. All right. I'm ex- I actually do want to see Night House. I don't know what you're talking about. I, I know. I was kind of setting you up to kind of like cut me down and be like, John, sure. you're wrong. You know, like, but you didn't say anything. So I was like, oh, apparently I called it here. But I don't know. No, I, was, I like Rebecca Hall. 
Yeah, I do too. Uh, I do too. Yeah. And it, it's it's supposed to be pretty spooky. And I'm I'm up I'm in the mood for a spooky film. So uh, I'm hopefully gonna catch that tonight or tomorrow when I can. So, but that's all we have for you guys this week. Thank you for listening to Cinemaholics. We really appreciate it. Signing off from the Internet, California. I'm John Agroni. And for Internet, Pennsylvania, I'm Washington. See you next time. <laughs>